You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 495. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Lake Burton, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 29th of October, 2021. today's episode, the FAA proposes longer rest periods for flight attendants. A British jury convicts the man who organized the flight which killed soccer player Emiano Sala. More news, your feedback, and today's plain tale, Speedlight Bravo. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger and Flight 495 is ready for pushback. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins in New York City. All right. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast train wreck covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. It's kind of like an aviation talk show, kind of. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia, and joining me today from across the pond in his studio, in Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. <laughs> yeah, good timing. Stop sleeping on the railway tracks, Jeff. That train may come through any moment. I know. All right, let's do some news. Stand by for news. Thank you, Paul Harvey. We're going to start this one off with a video. Hang on. It's from Vass Aviation. Real Aviation Communications. It says, well, it doesn't say. It's just going to go right on into it. Good morning, Saratoga 20885. We're on the right base for runway 16 left. Saratoga 20885, Tower, runway 16 left, continue. One six left. Continue for Saratoga two zero eight eight five. South thirty two seventy one. Tower on a three mile final. Don't delay. Wind zero three zero five. One six left. Clear for takeoff. All right, you're kind of covered up there, but Southwest thirty two seventy one. Confirm you're clear for takeoff. One six left. So it's twenty thirty two seventy one. Affirmative. One six left. Cleared for immediate takeoff. Clear for immediate takeoff. One six left. Southwest thirty two seventy one. Hurry, hurry. Yeah, which shouldn't be a problem for Southwest. They'd like to do everything at fifty miles. How's that going to work? Not very well, apparently. That's the Delta flight. Delta guy. Yeah, these Delta guys. Yeah. Silence is not trimmed on this video, according to 
Vast Aviation. And so it's showing the radar. 2666 going around. It's going around. 2666, roger. You can always go around. 2666, do you have the departing satellite in sight? I love it when they uh, ask No, it's just barely under the nose. Delta 2666. Okay, well, that's not good. Give him some go around instructions. Six, six, uh, give me your slowest possible climb out. Yeah, we're doing it. Well, that'll make him disappear further under 20, the 20, nose. 2666, can you stay in the pattern with me? I know. Doesn't make sense. Uh, I don't know if it's going to work. Delta 2666, we can't do that. 2666, Roger. So, 3271, give me your best, uh, best rate to climb out. That's great, Southwest 3271. Uh, the guy's on top of him. Yeah. Uh, I don't, that doesn't make sense. 2666, fly heading, climb out 10,000. All right, runway heading and up to 10,000. He wants him to hit faster, <laughs> sooner. <laughs> okay. This is over with. It's showing the radar. 2666, I travel down 12 o'clock, one mile, same direction, uh, 6,200 climbing. Okay. What? <laughs> 12 o'clock, one mile. That's close. Yeah. yeah just is. barely see him off the nose, Delta 2666. 2666, main and separation from the 737. All right, we'll do our best, Delta 2666. Yeah, we'll do our best. This is yeah, I hope you do. All right, so they're both so, climbing Delta out. 2666, sorry about that, kind of NORCAL departure 119.2. Let me know you have a 73 in sight. 19 Delta 2666. That was 3271, kind of NORCAL departure. See ya. Doing a little formation okay, flying. Five wind calm or one six left, clear to land. Clear to land, runway one six left, clear to get two zero eight eight five. Archer Delta twenty six sixty six nine thousand for one zero thousand on a one sixty five heading. Uh, the missed approach. Delta twenty six sixty six North Carolina departure to contact turn left heading is zero four zero vector uh, background. All right, heading zero four zero Delta twenty six sixty six. Docal Southwest thirty two seventy one nine point seven climbing. Either Zephyr six. Torcal, departure southwest 3271, 11-8, Southwest has bad timing with his radio transmissions. Yeah, it's not a good day. No. Nope. And a departure Delta 2666. We'd like to plan the RNAV Zulu to 16 left again. Delta 2666, roger. Roger. Torcal, southwest 3271, how do you hear? Southwest 3271, NorCal departure. Loud and clear. Sorry, had another frequency going with UHF. Uh, your radar contact verifies Zephyr 6 departure and say I'll be leaving. Yes, sir. Just wanted to make sure everything was working over here. Uh, we're out of 13-8, climbing via the Zephyr 6, Southwest 3271. Southwest 3271, appreciate it. And uh, your radar contact. Bell 2666, 6 the RNF. Uh, you said you wanted the RNF Zulu to runway 16 left, is that correct? Yeah, that's permanent. Delta 2666. Delta 2666, expect vectors to the final. All right, we'll plan that. Delta 2666. Delta 2666, uh, what was the reason for the go-around? Well, you cleared a uh, aircraft for takeoff, and he was not even rolling when we were at minimums. Well, he didn't. Tower did. Delta 2666, they had an aircraft on the runway, so? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Southwest 3271, contact Oakland Center, 127.95. 2795, Southwest 3271. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, right. The How would you know? <laughs> the editorial <laughs> opinion from yeah, you, the... You can see out the back of his copy, can he? <laughs> it wasn't that bad. What? So, 
so many things to talk about here. Uh, Reno, uh, got some, uh, mountain mountainous terrain, mountainous. mountainous terrain in the uh, Reno area. There's a, uh, picture of, uh, well, it's the, um, engine out procedure, uh, for one six left, but it gives you the, uh, terrain mapping the and the Ooh. shows the topography and it's uh, in a valley there and it's, it's tight. Uh, they were taking off to, uh, or they're approaching to one six left and then Southwest is taking off on one six left through that, uh, valley area. And you see, you have to go pretty much straight ahead there until you get a certain altitude and you can clear the, uh, uh the, uh, the peaks, the uh, terrain, um, and usually, well, not usually, but it, in my experience, it seems like most of the time we'd be heading over to, toward Salt Lake City and kind of heading out to the to the east once we kind of made it through that little area. And there's like a little gap there near Spoon, 22.3. Right, this answers a few questions for me seeing this, Jeff, because uh, the airfields are fairly high elevation. What is yep. that about? 4,000 uh, something or other, 4,200, yeah. something like that. I can't read it. And uh, that's why the go-round is probably going to be straight ahead, isn't it? Because uh, you can't yeah. build a turn. But now, uh, you know, you have initially. to kind of, you have to kind of make, uh, a, a, what's the word I'm looking for? A difference or Judgment not? Judgment call? No. Judgment call? No, no, no. Um, differentiation uh, between, you know, he's on a visual approach. He's not on an instrument approach. I mean, he clearly could see. Um, or at least he was visual in, in visual conditions. I don't, it, I didn't see anywhere where it said what the actual, um, conditions were as far as cloud cover, you know, cloud bases and visibility and that kind of thing. But I'm just assuming again, sometimes it's dangerous to do that. I'm assuming that it was uh, VMC and when the, uh, Delta flight decided to go around, he's not really on an instrument approach anymore i mean i don't think that uh, the instrument approach miss procedure is necessarily what you have to do and now it may be a good idea to have in your back pocket as far as you know the the high terrain and that kind of thing in the in the area but i think uh, to me it was a little uh, my biggest observation from this is why the pilots of the delta flight didn't like offset a little bit that's what i would do immediately if i if there's somebody taking off in front of me i'm not going to go straight ahead i'm going to go off to the side you know 5 10 15 degrees just to kind of get some uh maneuvering so i can look down and keep my eye on the southwest flight that's that's uh, climbing into my airspace directly ahead of me uh and and then why the tower controller didn't do something like that as well now i think he did offer uh the delta flight uh, the option to stay basically visual and in, in the pattern, but apparently because of the high terrain, uh, they elected not to do that. Um, and I'm not sure if that, if we have a, or if that company has a prohibition from, uh, doing visual, it's been a while since I've flown out of Reno back in the nineties was the last time I was, uh, flying in and out of there. Uh, but, um, I don't know, you know, I, I didn't get a chance, uh, Nick to, ask um, some certain controllers while I was at a big event this past weekend. but Oh, I, what a shame. But I did, I did uh, contact an anonymous controller, uh, and uh, this controller watched the video 
And he said that terrain is, he or she said terrain is obviously an issue. He's not sure, she's not sure what they are not sure what latitude the tower has for turning planes, but he didn't appear to do anything to prevent a collision. Uh, surely he can give the Delta a turn, even if it were just 15 to 20 degrees, to prevent them flying directly on top of the departure. Then he told Southwest to climb quickly, which to me only exacerbated the problem. And that's, you know, what you were saying, Nick. I mean, come on, yeah. really? Climb faster? How does that make yeah. any sense? Yeah, we've um, got to try and maintain the separation here. Yeah, it appears the controller made a bad choice to squeeze out the departure. Uh, the old squeeze play, I think uh, ATC people talk about it as. Yeah. Um, well, and, we, we can understand that because uh, I think he might have got away with it if uh, the Southwest had not trodden on the transmission. Right. Uh, or someone hadn't trodden somebody, on the transmission. Yeah, somebody stepped on somebody else, and so that was yeah, kind of like the Because those Southwest boys move pretty fast, don't they? They don't, they yeah. don't hang about. <laughs> yeah, but they don't taxi as fast as I do, apparently. <laughs> That's true. And, and Liz is saying that is true. Um, so go. let's see this anonymous controller also said it appears the controller made a bad choice. Oh, I just read that. Um, but he didn't have an adequate go around plan. That was ugly. Um, it's possible that Reno tower must get approval for all headings since it's NorCal's airspace, but it's his job to prevent the two planes from touching. So issue something, then coordinate with the departure. Uh, anyway, so that is from an anonymous real air traffic controller um, there. Well, as opposed to opposing faces, you mean? Yeah, as opposed to that. Yeah. They, I don't know. Are they really? Uh, I don't know if they're I, real I, air I, traffic I controllers. So. I mean, yeah. well, uh, Steph's not a real doctor, and I don't think they're real air <laughs> well, traffickers. But. Obviously not. <laughs> that, that is something that people are, are questioning uh, very yeah, recently. Yeah, we have some are you guys real pilots? I, well, yeah. Liz, Liz is asking, are you guys real pilots? <laughs> hey, look, yeah, no, let's just, just get off this subject, okay? Okay? Yeah. Let's just move on. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. This go-around scenario was always a bit of a nightmare for me because uh, the view um, downwards from the cockpit is very restricted. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you pitch the aircraft up into a go-around, uh, it becomes even worse because uh, now you've got the aircraft climbing steeply ahead and uh, the first uh, few thousand feet of a go-around are pretty busy because you're establishing your uh, track, you're cleaning the aircraft up, uh, and you are making sure you're controlling the speed and as we we know from a little bit of uh, feedback we're going to get later on i don't know it wasn't always well handled go rounds yeah. can be a bit of a nightmare if you've got to do it whilst trying to maintain really difficult visual contact with an aircraft below uh it it turns it into a damn nightmare and if you're the one worried about being bumped into then you know it, it really makes your life triply difficult I, mm -hmm. I really feel for the the um the delta crew um, mm -hmm. the southwest guys well they were just doing what they were supposed to do although why they had to make that smart aleck remark at the end of the <laughs> transmit i do not know it really doesn't deserve that no but there you go yeah i agree well it was a it was a but, tricky situation there and and luckily it was to but i think your advice about just Taking a little jink, doing flying a small S turn, mm -hmm. uh, certainly, and so the the captain at least can 
drop his wing and peer down at the guy mm-hmm. and, and be comfortable that they've got uh, separation, particularly since the controller has now told him to maintain visual separation. He obviously wasn't very happy with that because he wasn't certainly – he could maintain visual contact on him. I mean, right. the controller – has the controller even sat in a, a cockpit and, and seen what limited – um, you know, you, your view you have down there. It's not like you've got a glass floor. Yeah, I found it very frustrating, and I really felt for the uh, the crew that was on top, as it were. Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, thankfully. I always quite like being on top. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make a note of that. TMI. TMI, Liz is saying, the control room. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it was a bit ugly, wasn't it? It was a bit ugly. Uh, it was not a comfortable. Bit. Ugly, yes. Um, the, your reference to being on top or the previous story about the Delta and Southwest? What are you talking about? What's ug- Well, both of them are ugly, actually. Okay. I think we can probably leave that one for people <laughs> okay. to wonder about. <laughs> Let's move on then to uh, this update. Uh, we talked about this uh, trial going on, the uh, David Henderson, uh, who was uh, supposed to organize the safe travel of the um football star uh from portugal i think i don't know or where i where think was he was he in france, france, france. Oh, from france okay yeah. uh, but where is he from i mean emiliano oh. um I, I think he's yeah i think you're right Might be i think it's portugal but anyway anyway doesn't matter uh so you know he died in that uh crash and the pilot uh who was not apparently not qualified to to do the the flight and the uh, footballer uh died uh, well, the person uh, who was organizing this whole thing uh, was on trial and he was convicted. So uh, let's see, he was found guilty of endangering the safety of an aircraft in which a footballer and a pilot died. And um, let's see, his name again, David Henderson, 67 years old of Hotham East Riding of Yorkshire, was found guilty after a trial at Court of crown court doesn't say i guess i haven't had the conviction i mean the um sentencing phase yet um but uh thankfully he was found guilty we'll find out what what he'll get um not as much as the pilot would have done had he survived i i think because uh you know uh, the majority of the uh, onus for the responsibility of the safe conduct flight is always on the the commander of the aircraft, the captain. Uh, but, uh, you know, this guy has to carry a very big can because he knew what was going on and he uh, he set it all up and uh, he then tried to uh, cover it up, his uh, participation in it, by telling people to keep quiet. So, uh, you know, I, I think this is exactly the right uh, result from the jury. So good job there. Uh, and um, we'll find out what um, he will face, whether it's jail time or what, I don't know. Or a fine, but um, it, it is very concerning, and I'm I'm glad the CAA have, you know, eventually got round to digging out all the, uh, you know, all the facts of the, of the tragedy, and um, you know, have laid blame where it uh, deserves to lie. You know, I really wish that I had uh, had you uh, do some photoshopping of this photo that we have up here on the video of this uh, David Henderson. Uh, put a red or a um, an orange jumpsuit uh, in place. <laughs> we of don't his. do that in in this country. Oh, you don't. What do you do? You don't have to wear the orange jumpsuit until you're guilty. And I oh, don't think well, I mean, he is then. guilty. 
Well, oh, I mean, he's it, now. It would yeah. be for fun. Would... <laughs> <laughs> it would have been funny, see? It would have been. It yeah. Would have been, yeah. Except, except we use the black and white stripes, and we having a oh. big metal ball on his ankle. <laughs> okay. You're still yeah. doing that, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll move on then to this next item in our nose new nose book. Let's try that again. News notebook. Uh, FAA proposes longer rest period between shifts for flight attendants. Uh, again, FAA news release. Uh, let's see. They're uh, taking comments for 60 days. This was issued on the 21st of October. The U.S. Department of Transportation's Federal Aviation Administration today proposed a regulation to require that flight attendants have a longer rest period between shifts. The proposed rule would increase the rest period to 10 consecutive hours when scheduled for a duty period of 14 hours or less. The Biden-Harris administration is proud to advance policies that protect and empower workers. This proposal will contribute to a safer, healthier workplace for flight attendants, said Transportation Secretary Peter Buttigieg. 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 I think I, I just got it right, I think. That's close. <laughs> flight attendants play a critical safety role in keeping passengers safe on every flight and especially in emergencies. This proposal helps reduce fatigue so they can perform the critical role, FAA Administrator Steve Dixon said. He was uh, one of our, he was a uh, head of our, op, not our, uh, Delta Airlines uh, ops, flight ops uh, anyway, currently flight attendants are required to have nine consecutive hours in their rest period. In 2018, under the FAA Reauthorization Act, Congress directed the FAA to increase the minimum rest period for flight attendants with scheduled duty of 14 hours or less in domestic flag and supplemental flights. The Reauthorization Act also required the FAA to prohibit a reduction of the rest period under any circumstances. The FAA's proposal meets those requirements. Okay, so. If you want to yeah. submit your comments, uh, you, uh, the public, uh, are invited to do so, and you have 60 days from October 21st to do it. And I think it's a good idea. You know, pilots have had strict rules when it comes to rest periods, and we've always kind of wondered why, you know, the flight attendants didn't have something similar. And so it looks like the the FAA now is finally getting on board with that. They had no protection at all, or they just had less protection? I think they I think they had some sort of protection, and then it was like easily waived for irregular operations. In other words, oh, it was like, okay. well, you know, yeah, we're, we're planning for you to have this uninterrupted rest period of nine hours, but, you know, things happen. So, you know, seven hours is going to have to be enough for you or whatever. I'm yeah. just, well, yeah. So there you go. No, all right. I, if if you're gonna if it it's a tough job, and if you're gonna do it for your life, uh, you need to have you know regular sleep breaks mm -hmm. because it could be very deleterious to your health. Ooh, so, nice. Yeah, nice use of uh, this of is good. The, uh, this is really good. I'm I'm pleased that they are trying to do this because the good. airlines will bitch and moan. Yes, probably. At least some of them will. All right. Yeah. Uh, we'll move on to our next item, which is Rolls-Royce successfully demonstrates trailblazing 100% SAF-powered flight. SAF is, oh, wait, I should probably play. South African Air Force. South African 
No, I don't think that's what it is. Um, let me hear. Sudanese Air Force. Nope. Dang it. <laughs> I always pick the wrong one. <laughs> going green. We're going to take care of the earth. We're going clean. Green. <laughs> We're coming clean. Yeah, yeah. A sustainable aviation fuel. Ding, 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 ding. That's the answer to SAF ah. in this particular situation anyway. Uh, let's see. There's still a long way to go until commercial aviation can rely, can rely exclusively on sustainable aviation fuel, but important milestones confirm the fact that we're getting closer to that point. Rolls-Royce, one of the major supporters of carbon-neutral solutions in the aerospace industry, has recently accomplished a successful SAF-powered flight. Governments across the globe are pushing for the decarbonization of all types of transportation, including aviation. In the U.S., the Biden administration has launched the Sustainable Aviation Fuel Grand Challenge for SAF-related projects. It aims to reach up to 3 billion gallons production capacity of fuel per year by 2030. In Europe, the European Commission launched the Refuel EU. Refuel EU? <laughs> I'm not sure how you'd pronounce that, but um, try, they're trying to do something tricky there. Uh, aviation proposal to supply increased quantities of SAF at airports. Although electric and hydro hybrid propulsion systems are also essential alternatives for zero emission flights. For now, SAF is considered the most viable solution. But according to current regulations, aircraft can use only up to 50% SAF mixed with conventional fuel. So one of the goals is to achieve certification of non-blended SAF to conduct sustainable long-distance travel. Anyway, so we see the picture there. That's the test bed aircraft, a 747. It flew over Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas with its Trent engine running entirely on non-blended SAF, while its other three RB211 engines ran on conventional fuel. According to Rolls-Royce, there were no technical issues, and the aircraft made a successful return to the Tucson airport, demonstrating the efficiency of SAF. You know, to, truth be told, uh, Nick, and I think you would agree, uh, jet engines, they'll pretty much run on <laughs> about anything you put in the tank. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't oh, yes, really have to will. be that special, right? Um, vodka, oh, yes, even, right. I think. <laughs> they'll run on that. Waste yeah. of good vodka. But it um, is a waste so of good alcohol, yes. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, absolutely. No, I took a little look at what is in SAF. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, you, it can be made of uh, obviously plant products because you know that's how we make a lot of uh, you know uh, fuels that aren't uh, just pumped out of the ground and turned into oil. Mm -hmm. uh, you can take uh, household recycling, uh, you know, stuff you'd normally toss away, and you can somehow turn that into fuel. Uh, and you can do, use things like wood pulp that can be turned into it. Um, uh, but I, I do wonder how um, this is going to work because uh, it, it's even the, the cheapest version is twice as expensive as aviation fuel, and it can be up to 10 times as expensive as uh, aviation fuel. So, you know, uh, if, if we're going to, invent a carbon-free uh, fuel and don't forget this is probably only a stepping stone between the next generation which i suspect will probably be something like hydrogen um uh, it it 
you know, it it's there and it will reduce your carbon footprint, which is fantastic. But I, th I think this is just a uh, something to do in the meantime. It's an interim measure. Yes. I think... Um, Micah, Micah is not impressed. Micah is not impressed. Sustainable aviation fuel is merely smoke and mirrors. Well, it makes a bit of smoke. Uh, a few contrails. I didn't see any mirrors coming out the back. <laughs> well, if you had a mirror, you could see the contrail, the chemtrails coming out the <laughs> you back. Could. Yes, um, you could. I've also heard that um, the grease that uh, companies use to fry French fries makes Oh, yeah, that's good. another source. Yeah, cooking and they, oil. Yeah, and, and I think that it's funny because uh, they say if you're – like anywhere near a car that's running or an engine that's running on this stuff, it smells like French fries. <laughs> it's like, mm, I'm hungry for some reason. Let's go yeah, to McDonald's. Fried chicken. Mm, yes. <laughs> uh, very nice. Anyway. So, well, you know, it's, you know, baby steps and, you know, you might have a point, Micah. It might be smoke and mirrors, but um, at least we're all feeling really, really good about it. Right? Until <laughs> you got to pay for it. We're, We're going, going green. Come on, everybody, sing along. This is Kurt We're going to take care song. of the earth. We're, We're going, going green. green. Yeah, we are. <laughs> that was sent in by our British correspondent, Nigel. That was sent in by our British APG correspondent, Nigel. Oh. Now, you're not a correspondent, Nick. You're a, you're a, uh, a host. I'm an idiot. Oh, yeah, oh, okay. that's true. <laughs> well, I'm glad somebody we said it. <laughs> we're not, they said, well, we're not arguing with that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair okay. enough. Uh, I know who my friends are. Yeah, you do. We're just kidding. We love you, and you're not an idiot. We're an idiot for loving you as much as we do. <laughs> All right. Oh, this is good. This is good. A couple of you <laughs> sent in links to this um this article this this journalism <laughs> and let's see uh who who's the gary i love his uh the, the title of his uh feedback was x pert reporting x like the letter x dash p-e-r-t yep. reporting <laughs> he said this is absolutely priceless any of you guys know where they uh where the brakes are b-r-e-a-k-s guess that might be why they had trouble stopping uh, well yeah okay and then um also uh, who was it that sent in this other one liz shoot i forgot um hang on stand by okay stand she's by. gonna look that up for me um keep, keep, carry on. but uh this person will reveal their name very shortly uh said that i think they intended the stall to mean that the aircraft was stopped near the runway. Reading into it, the aircraft experienced a hard enough landing to blow tires. One possible explanation could be a true stall above the runway, right? High enough to have such a rough landing to blow tires? We'll see. And I doubt it. So here's the headline that uh, these guys are, are... And it's not just the headline, by the way, but let's start with that. DC air traffic disrupted after American Airlines flight stalls near runway. Now, of course, people writing these headlines, they don't really understand that, you know, stalling <laughs> is not the same as like a traffic, you know, backup or a car stalling on the road. Uh, stall means something entirely different in our world. Emergency crews at Ronald Reagan National Airport in Washington, D.C. are responding to a jet that has stopped in the middle of the airport's main runway. The jet sat on the runway for about 10 minutes before fire and rescue crews arrived, according to a video taken to the plane and posted to social media. One witness, 
who said he was at the airport and was delayed taking off by the plane, said that the pilot of his, air, of his aircraft informed passengers that the plane, quote, had a hard landing and blew several tires. The witness later added that they were forced to return to the gate to get off their plane while crews tend to the aircraft on the runway. And so, uh, no, it tended. Got to get your verb tenses straight here when you're writing. You know, if you're a journalist, you're supposed to know how to write. It's called English and uh, whatever. Um, well, you can call him Michael Lee if you want, because that's who the, wrote it. The other contributor was the, Carl Hood. Carl Hood or Hood. H-O-U-D-E. Hoody Hood. Hood. We'll we just call him Carl Hood. H. Hood. Yeah, Carl H. sent that in. Thank you, Carl. Um, Ronald Reagan National Airport advised passengers flying to or from the airport to check with their airline prior to blah, 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 blah. A uh, spokesperson for American Airlines told Fox News that the plane was experiencing a mechanical issue and that nobody was injured in the incident. Okay, here's a quote. Now, I don't know if American Airlines issued this or if the writer of this Fox News article wrote this. American Eagle Flight 4965 operated by Republic Airways with service from Memphis to Regan. They misspelled Reagan National Airport in D- uh, DCA experienced a mechanical issue upon landing at DCA. The flight landed safely and there were no reported injuries. All passengers were bussed to the terminal. Uh, let's see. The, this is the, the, the part that's really just priceless. The pilot of the aircraft told uh, WJLA that they were forced to use the emergency brakes, B-R-E-A-K-S, not B-R-A-K-E-S, the emergency <laughs> brakes. To bring I the aircraft. I need a break. Yeah. <laughs> I need an emergency break. It's so Give desperate. me a break. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah. Break me off a piece of that. Oh, cat, dear. Cat bar. Cat bar. Anyway, yes, the tires were blown on the runway, the pilot said. We had to use emergency braking. And then again, I had to correct. It's braking, B-R-A-K-I-N-G, just to the airplane to stop. We were Dreadful. we were not going to stop. <laughs> I guess that was a quote from the passenger. We were, we were not going to stop. And I said, huh? Uh, let's see. Anyway, so there you go. Not only do they pick the wrong pictures, which we'll have an example of that later, um, but they can't seem to get even the the writing, the narrative correct. Uh, by the way, I noticed the footnote, uh, yeah. which is you, you have broken this rule. The material Uh-oh. may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed, and you have both rewritten. Oh no! And I, well, yeah, it. I did. I Uh-oh. did. I rewrote it because it was such a piece of crap. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, but in defense of um, Michael Lee, uh, yeah. the writer at Fox News, yeah, he probably didn't write the headline. No, you're right. I think they have sub editors, or the main editor does the headline. I think you're right, uh, and and he didn't actually write write stalls near the runway in his text so i don't know who his sub-editor is or his editor but i think he did write the breaks b-r-e-a-k oh yes i mean his spelling was appalling how many p's in appalling uh probably two (laughs) um anyway hey you know we're all human right but it's still fun to kind of poke fun at people so there you go and it doesn't have a spell checker um, apparently not. Well, you know what? If he wrote B-R-E-A-K-S, the spell checker would have oh, yeah, went, oh, that's okay, spelled correctly. <laughs> anyway. Good point. Well, mate. Well, let's see. We have um, some good news. Um, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh, shoot. 
I thought I would have that all ready to go, and I don't. Here, let me see if I push this button. Ah, yes. It's news about go, uh, drones. Wow, it's kind of loud. Sorry. Uh, drone delivers lungs for transplant to Toronto Hospital and World First Health Network says. Hang on, let me uh, add that to the stream. There is a picture of said drone. An unmanned drone shown in this updated handout image makes a practice flight over Toronto with workers. Oh, that's the um, camera. That's the, uh, not the thing I was supposed to. That was a caption for the photo there. University Health Network and Unither Bioelectronique say they have completed the world's first transplant of lungs delivered by an unmanned drone. The Toronto Healthcare Group and Bromont, Quebec, bioengineering company. Hey, where do you live, bro? Bromont. Uh, says the drone carrying the lungs traveled from Toronto Western Hospital to Toronto General Hospital on September 25th. The journey lasted six minutes and was completed around 1 a.m. local time. Uh, UHN Surgeon-in-Chief Dr. Shaf Kajavshi says the recipient... Elaine Hodak, 63, is an engineer with an interest in drones, and his transplant went well. Yeah, he has a, a deep interest in drones now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. Unither Bioelectronic said it chose Toronto General Hospital to be part of this historic moment because it completed the world's first lung transplant in 1983 and the first double lung transplant in 1986. Hey, I got some advice for you folks. If you're in the market for a lung transplant, you should check out the Toronto General Hospital. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're good. These Canadians. They know what they're well, doing. Well, they were in the 80s. I don't know about now. Well, maybe not now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, so that's kind of cool. And another great use for that technology, I'd say. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is quick. I mean, I don't know how far apart the uh, hospitals are, but they can't be that far if it's no. six far minutes. Far. But um, the fantastic thing is that if there's some kind of a traffic jam or an accident on the roads, then, uh, you know, you've got a way of getting that, that lung moved very safely, very quickly. Mm -hmm. So long as it doesn't crash, you're good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Good comment from Mr. Van Ram here. Oh, Mr. Air. Van Ram, the Tim, uh, which one is he? The good-looking Van Ram or is he's Mark? The West Coast Van. Ram. Oh, he's the West Coast. Oh, it doesn't matter. Van They're Ram. both very rich. They're both very rich and good-looking. Uh, he said, "Lungs via drone sounds like a breath of fresh air." Bam. <laughs> good one. All right, that's enough. You know how many? You should feel bad, Tim. You know how many comedians are out of work? Come on. <laughs> And you're doing that kind of stuff. Come on. Hey, I was uh, looking around uh, the the uh, the webs and uh, the interwebs, and I went to uh, liveatc.net and found this gem. And I uh, edited it to take out some of the uh, the stuff on the uh, recording that wasn't really necessary to play. And uh, I boiled it down to this. I think you'll enjoy this. Oh, I should probably set this up. Uh, this is Newark Airport, uh, Newark, N-E-W-A-R-K, one of the three uh, big New York area airports. And, okay, here we go. There's an airplane coming in, and they have to go around for some reason. 
And tower, Marijet 880 Heavy going around. Marijet 880 Heavy, Roger. Fly Heavy 170, maintain 3000. Heading 170, 3000. Gear up! Watch your speed! Bring the power back! 270, Marijet 880 Heavy, turn right. Heading 260, maintain 3000. Right 260, 3000, Marijet 880 Heavy. Marijet 880 Heavy, stay reason for go around. Not established. Roger. Not established. I mean, he has. This guy must be fun to fly with. <laughs> you mean he hasn't established the reason? <laughs> I don't think that's what he means. Not established. I think he means. I have no idea why we went around. Probably not um, stabilized. Uh, stabilized. I think is what yeah. he's trying not to stabilized. say. <laughs> not established. He, he's got plenty of uh, other language skills, <laughs> though, but not that one. Wow. Maybe he meant uh, yeah. not stable. Yeah. yeah. What, a, stable. what a lovely captain. Yeah, that, uh, wow, that was an interesting um, little insight. little insight, a little behind the uh, curtain that we no normally don't get a chance to <laughs> see or hear. Behind their cockpit door. Yeah, yeah, behind their, yeah, on their side of the cockpit door, Liz says. Uh, yeah, wow. Um, interesting. I just thought that was something that would be fun to share. <sighs> oh, I thought it was absolute classic. <laughs> absolute classic. Because I... I think, why is it, you know, like, they have a category on liveatc.net called the interesting recordings. And so, you know, from time to time, I'll go in there. And, you know, to be honest, most of the time, they're not really that interesting. And when I saw something about go around at Newark and, and yelling or screaming, I'm thinking, what? And so I thought, I'll take a listen to this. I was just about to stop listening. And then I heard this yelling. I went, oh, this is great. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> I got to share this. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Enough of that. Uh, let's see. The next item here um, involves a Dreamliner, a Boeing 787 uh, at Brisbane Airport in um, Eastern Australia. Um, Glenn, and not the Glenn that we know uh, down under in, in New Zealand, but a, in another uh, Glenn. Uh, it says, Tornado meets Dreamliner at Brisbane Airport. This is on Twitter. Um Victor Hotel Zulu November Delta suffered a possible fuselage crack when picked up by the wind. And so this was on airlivenet.pick. No, it's from airlive.net. And I have some video from this, and you can see the uh, Dreamliner kind of getting kind of moved around a bit. So here we go. It's Qantas 787. Things are blowing around. Uh-oh. Look at the airplane. Look at the airplane. God, look at that cargo door flapping up and down. I know. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I guess I'll have to, yeah, censor that out. Didn't realize there was some poor language there. Uh, so this is taken from the terminal window or the concourse window looking outside at this Qantas parked at the gate. And uh, this wind was so strong that it actually moved the nose of the or the front part of the fuselage of the aircraft um, over and into the cargo loading uh, device. What's that called? I don't know what the heck the, the cargo the lift. lift loader thing. That's what yeah. I think they call it. That's the official term, um, and uh, it was where they where they take those UDLs or ULDs or DLA, DLUs. 
I've already rigged the show. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I can't remember which one of those three it is, but anyway, it's one of those. It's, there's a D and an L and a U in that. It's called um, a K loader. A K loader. Thank a, you, aviator. A cloder. Okay. A cloder. <laughs> hey, I think that's our jet fuel Java guy. Hey. All right. Well, I'm I'm out of so coffee. <laughs> I need some more yeah. coffee. Yeah. I should put an order in. Hey, is that um, that special deal? That special uh, discount code uh, valid still? Uh, Aviatist. It's not going to run forever, you know. Well, Just it should. On the spot here. <laughs> I know. He's he's quickly like making it this current is a good again. One from the from the last news item. Okay, CRM. from the last uh, news item, Alistair says, CRM, Captain Really Mad. <laughs> yeah, that's some, <laughs> yeah. a good example of CRM right there. Yeah, um, exactly right. Anyway, yeah. so hey, just uh, quickly, Nick, uh, looking at this up, video, all right, man, I'll, I'll send some money your way too, um, and I hope that you get to uh, talking to Jeff Jett. Um, the, uh, I hope you get a chance to uh, come to Atlanta on the 3rd of December. I'd love to meet you in person. Anyway, looking at oh, this. Oh, and bring some coffee. Well, of course. <laughs> but this, um, this here, uh, okay, look at how the nose wheel turned. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I, Let me, I, I thought, wait. So wait, no, I got to back it up a little bit more. Okay, so it's moving sideways, and all of a sudden the nose wheel started to turn. I wonder if that's some kind of a automated built-in protection that that kicked in there to prevent the well it, it, it without hydraulic pressure i don't suppose there's a great oh. deal to prevent it from castoring okay um that okay that makes could sense. caster right to the to the stops but uh the thing that um people might be going well hang on a minute the wind's from the left how come the nose moved into wind well mm -hmm. just remember that the wind's impinging on that huge fin at the back that's mm -hmm. what twisted the airplane around so true I mean, which is the function of that great big fin on the back it's to uh, point the airplane into wind <laughs> oh that's what that's for and it did its job oh, i did <laughs> you know I, all these years of flying i really had no idea what the heck that <laughs> thing was for i thought it was for the advertising <laughs> yeah, so like, well, it's just it's it's just for putting your logo on, isn't it? That's yeah, why they have that, logo lights. And the Abraham Lincoln uh, picture of Abraham Lincoln on the back of the um, Alaska the Air. Yeah. Who who was yeah, it that exactly. said that they thought it was a, uh, Abraham Lincoln back there? I think it was another podcast I was listening to. <laughs> they said for so many years they thought that was a picture of Abraham Lincoln. I'm thinking, uh, I don't think you've looked at uh, pictures of Abraham Lincoln. I don't know how you would think that that. Uh, and, Eskimo. It was a cold day when they took that picture of Abraham Lincoln. You can't um, call it an yeah. Eskimo, can you? No, it's a, something. No, you can't. You have to. Call what is it? What is it? The proper word for that? In Inuit. In in. Inuk. 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 Who's calling me an idiot? <laughs> Somebody's calling <laughs> me an the idiot. The producer. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I did not. Anyway. Um, okay. Oh, look at that. Um, Jeff Jet. I'll be there and bring some coffee and can give away for prizes. Woo! Wow. Nice. Wow. I love it. Love it. Okay. I'm sorry. We're all over the place here you today. Sorry. Tell him where to send your coffee on Monday. Oh, yeah. Uh, don't send it. Well, you can, he can send it to where, what, okay. what's on file because I, the house is still there. At, at least it was a couple of days ago. <laughs> Someone I'll else find, will be drinking it. I'll but. find out tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the new man of the house will be there. I don't know. Um, Anyway, uh, what was I? Where was I? What were we talking about here? Uh, the airplane that oh, twisted yeah. into wind. Anything else to say about that? 
Uh, I'm wondering where the crank appeared because, quite honestly, no, I didn't I see. Did it hit the loader? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, I can see them yeah, needing a new like cargo door because that got pretty badly uh, mashed about. But uh, yeah, that would be my guess where the possible fuselage crack occurred, right where that cargo, the yeah. forward cargo door was opening in that loader, that K loader. Yeah. We we had a um, um, if it was into wind, a sixty knot limit. If it was crosswind like this only 40 knots that looked a lot more than 40 knots yeah only 40 huh yeah wow, that's a lot of wind. that's a lot of crosswind yeah i don't well, know what this one wind was but that was the door limit for us well speaking of alaska air and and anuk anuk um people uh this next item legendary anuk bush pilot 76 years old hang on i have a picture of this gentleman oh it's aj there we go. Um, he flies past aviation milestone with 40,000 hours of flight time. That looks just like AJ. AJ who? As in RH and AJ. Or no, it, it does not. <laughs> yeah, it does. It looks, it looks just like, like him. It looks like Captain Al. <laughs> it looks like Captain Al. No. You, guys, <laughs> no. would you play, please put your glasses on? <laughs> Man. I guess uh, well maybe uh, an old like an old AJ AG maybe well, I, 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 the, you can't see the wrinkles because it's a uh, not so you're, high you're talking about AG right? off, he said uh, AG yeah, yeah that's that's what okay. I'm thinking AG AJ gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, AG okay well anyway so it does look like AG then okay I'll I'll give you that okay. uh, Johnny May Senior flying since 1962 is the first Inuk pilot from the Eastern Arctic. Uh, he crossed a flying milestone few pilots achieve in their careers, having recently surpassed 40,000 hours of flight time. I have, for reference, um, a, somewhere between 23 and 25,000 hours, and I've been flying for 40, about 40 years. Um, and the 76-year-old uh, from Kujak Nunavik has no plans of stopping yet. Liz, help me out there. How do you say oh, that? Sorry. Uh, stand by. Kaujuak Nunavik. Kaujuak, I think. Huh? <laughs> Just keep slurring your syllables. I don't know. You'll get, you'll get well, away with it. She's she's working on it. She was doing something else. I think she was doing her nails or something. I don't know what she's no, doing. I was okay. talking to Elwin. Oh, okay. She was busy talking to somebody important. Kujuak. Kujuak. And then Nunavik? Nunavut. None of it says a K on this one. Maybe they misspelled yeah, it. It does. That's weird. Okay. I don't know. Don't anyway, know. he said the 76 uh, year old, just keep on flying as long as I'm able to, because I enjoy it a lot. Uh, he's been flying for 59 years, best known as the first Inuk pilot from the Eastern Arctic. He posted his recent flying accomplishment on Facebook and received many congratulatory messages. It was nice. Said may, who's the brother of governor general, Mary may Simon. May obtained his first pilot license in 1962 and through his company, Johnny May's Air Charters, has flown countless clients. Uh, these days, he says he's been flying caribou hunters. I've been flying a lot of them out. Is in that an airplane? airplane? Um, well, it, a caribou is an airplane, but it's, um, I think, more importantly, uh, it's a, a mammal. 
It's a large animal. <laughs> okay. um, and flying mammals in Canada. I don't, I don't think understand. they fly, but I don't know. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Liz. You're from... No, reindeer fly. Reindeer fly. Caribou don't. Caribou don't. Okay. Oh, okay. You. All right. Well, let's hope Father Christmas doesn't get confused. Oh, speaking of Christmas, uh, here's a picture of him with Father Christmas. Ah. That's He's tight. He with knows people. Flying uh, caribous. Yeah, he was uh, something about a candy drop that they, a tradition they do up in that area of the world oh, uh, every year. So there's a good old Santa there in the uh, cockpit with uh, Johnny May. And uh, yeah. Or AG. Or AG. That's what we're going to call him. Uh, an elderly AG. A single otter looks very strong to, strange to her. A single otter looks very strange to Dr. Steph. As opposed to a twin otter, I guess. Ah, yeah. So it's a sodder and not a twatter. Gotcha. Okay. Oh, right. Um, anywho, so there you go. That's kind of cool. Congratulations, uh, sir, for breaking that 40,000-hour uh milestone that's amazing yeah you're right that is incredible not too many considering people he's not like sitting in that with an autopilot droning along for 10 hours at a go nope i, I suspect he's a hand flown most of those hours yeah <laughs> fantastic job and there's the um uh am i showing the right one now uh the it gets so darn cold up there that this is what they have to do to keep the uh engine from freezing i guess wrap wow. some kind of an insulate insulation or blanket or something on top probably a heated blanket to keep that whole front end of the airplane warm anyway congrats sir so uh that's it that is the point of the show where we take a little break and we get to know each other Getting to know all about us. Sorry, Steph. Getting to like us. Getting to hope you like us too. Yes, I know that those are not the right lyrics. See, it looks... Now, there you go. Look, there's a picture I've now got of AG and that pilot, and they're, they're identical. Are they? Are they one and the yeah. same person? I think they might be. It might be. Who knows? All right. Um, Nick, Nicholas, how have you been, sir? Uh, d- doing fine. Thanks very much indeed. Yeah. Um, no problems at all. Thoroughly enjoying myself. Um, getting things sorted out for our 500th over here. So um, things slowly coming together. Um, little bit disappointed Uh-oh. with the uh, number of people uh, firing in emails to our new email address um, mm-hmm. 500 at airlinepilotguide.com um, looking for golden tickets uh, although I did get a very amusing uh, email from Stefan going what's a golden ticket <laughs> <laughs> and for those who don't know <laughs> Um, it kind of relates to uh, Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, mm-hmm. where all the kids got to visit the Chocolate ta- Factory if they found a golden ticket, which gave them an entrance. So that's what and that was like in the, the candy bars that they were buying. Yeah, and that's they could right. get a golden ticket. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that's uh, it, the key. You got to go out and buy a whole bunch of candy <laughs> bars <laughs> to get your golden no, ticket. No, 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 no. No, just oh. send me. Just send an email in uh, saying you want to go to the UK one. 
And uh, the people who are going to get first choice are the ones with uh, who are going to suggest perhaps a really good a snippet from uh, 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 somewhere in our 499 shows, somewhere really good, something really good that would be great to play, a small video clip, say about five minutes. Um, so give us a time uh, stamp and tell us which show you your favourite bit came from and we'll play it on the show. Or, you know, ask a question or a bit of feedback or something that uh, you perhaps can personally ask uh, when from the audience uh, when you're on the 500th. But... No one will, uh, there won't be a 500th unless we have a decent sized audience. So start writing in, people, because now that is not get true. Worried here. <laughs> <laughs> we are still going to have a 500th. Well, I won't have the UK one. I'll just, I'll just oh, turn well, the lights fine. off. Yeah, just, we'll just, I don't know no, where Nick is. <laughs> We're going to have a, uh, a great panel up the front there with all our favorite uh, characters from uh, aviation podcasts in and around. Uh, uh, us you know all our friends and from other podcasts so it'll it'll be great fun and uh, there'll be um a little bit of a uh, little bit of adult uh, beverage available and mm. uh, perhaps a few uh, nibbles uh, and most importantly we're holding this at in a historically fantastic room uh, on top of a brilliant museum. So if you want a personalised tour of uh, Fast Museum at Farnborough and all the amazing exhibits there and aircraft there, then pitch up in the afternoon, you get a tour around the place, get to look at it all, and then, you know, six o'clock in the evening, uh, we'll get everyone together in the fabulous uh, Trenchard room where Lord Trenchard formed the Royal Air Force and uh, we'll have a, a show there. So it, it, it will be a great day because uh, we're lots of friends. And for those of you who uh, want to stay the night, uh, the Aviator Hotel is nearby. Uh, Aviator Hotel Farnborough is right on the edge of the airport. Very nice. Uh, Graham knows it because uh, he stayed there, Graham Fig. I, I had breakfast mm -hmm. with him there. Uh, a nice hotel. And, um, you know, if you get in early and book a room, uh, you'll be able to stay the night. Uh, Fred, I can't promise a special deal, unlike Jeff, but, um, uh, you know, it's, it's a good and convenient. There are a number of good hotels. Uh, certainly, they've got lots of holidays and that sort of thing around. So you, mm -hmm. it's easy to find accommodation at Farnborough. If, Main uh, man Micah can highly recommend the uh, Holiday Inn. That's uh, uh, just yes, he can. blocks away Absolutely. from the uh, airport. So, Get those emails in, please. So I've got some idea of who's coming, please. Uh, and that address again? Uh, 500 at airlinepilotguide.com. There you go. That, that's figured. Number. Number 500. Yes. 500. Yeah. Very good. So, so that's that. And uh, other than that... Um, no, it'd be uh, the reason for tonight's early start. It would have would have been an early start. I've got an umpiring match tomorrow. Sorry. <laughs> Ooh, that was a I've burn. got an early start tomorrow. Hey, look, so I tried. I that. Yeah, I'm very no, trying. We, we, we gave it. We gave it a good old. Uh, I know. You know I well, you try. know, that's just me. I I like to try new things at the very last <laughs> minute, and then we tried to start the show a couple of hours early, uh, or earlier for Nick. And, uh, yeah, didn't work out very well. I'm sorry, sir. It's my bad. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, you know, oh, typical, typical Jeff. Typical That's Jeff. right. I'm sure we can get through this nice and quickly and finish early. All right. It? Well, then we'll, uh, we'll move on then to, uh, what I've been doing since the last episode. And, uh, let's see. I don't, did I, no, I, I have not flown. 
I think that uh, my company, Acme, tried to have me get out to uh, do some overtime flying. Um, but now that I'm kind of a, quite a distance from the airport, it's not as easy for me to accept some of these last minute things. And, and especially if it's in the middle of the night, I just go, nah, <laughs> I don't feel like getting up. Uh, so I have not flown since the last episode and I'm officially on vacation right now. And uh, I am scheduled to go out again on Tuesday of next week. I'm trying to remember where I where I'll be. I think I'll be in Columbia, uh, South Carolina, and somewhere else. Okay, Liz is looking that up for me. Um, she's saying she's saying, hold on, hang on, let me see where you're going to be. Um, so if you're in Columbia, Columbia South Carolina, Columbia. Uh huh. And then, yeah, uh, MS, MSN. Is oh, that, Madison. I'll be in Madison, Madison on, yeah. so I'll be in Columbia all day Wednesday, and then uh, Thursday I'll be in Madison. Correct. Thank you, Liz, for looking that up for me. And I, I need to update the uh, APG calendar with that information. Sorry, I haven't done that yet. Anyway, uh, got a lot of things on my list of things to do, so I'll get on it as uh, soon as I can. Anyway, so one of the things I did do, though, over the last weekend uh, was a very important one. I attended another aviation podcast. It's the apparently the best of all time, and it's called The Opposing Bases. Oh, we, we kid. That's a great podcast. These two guys here in the picture uh, we have AG. We've been talking about him earlier. You know, we we showed his uh, grandfather. Uh, but there's AG, and there's RH. Uh, let's see, AG to my right in the green, and uh, in the dark gray. I guess that's gray. Um, goes and matches his wonderful looking hair. That's uh, RH, and uh, they are the two co-hosts of the very very brilliant podcast called Opposing Bases. Oh, Air traffic best talk. in the world. It is. It is. Yeah. It's probably the best um, ATC controller slash pilot podcast out there. I think it's also the only one. <laughs> <laughs> but it Absolutely, is the best. Yeah. Uh, anyway, no, I love these guys. I really do. And uh, we kind of sent uh, some 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 audience members or pointed them in their direction and honestly it's one of those podcasts that i listen to every single week when they publish their latest episode because i've learned a lot from listening to their content so and not only is it educational but it's uh these two guys are really just very funny together and uh so this is a picture in the hangar they had their 200th episode celebration uh, at this, uh, wings over Carolina, I guess, I think, it's, I hope I have that right. Uh, it's a flying club and, uh, this is the in, inside their hangar and, uh, had a great crowd, a big what crowd. Country is it in? It's in, uh, well, it's, it, it's not in, well, I guess it, it's part of the United States. It's, um, oh, really, I'd never know by looking at that picture. Yeah. Oh, well, Liz is being sarcastic. She goes, what country is it in? I'd never know from looking at that picture. <laughs> hey, these are patriotic people, Liz. Unlike you. Anyway, um, <laughs> I was going to say something unkind and then I realized that I really don't really don't mean it. So I'm not going to say it. Um, it was just a reactionary comment on my part. I, I do apologize. Um, anyway, so we had a great time. They had a, um, they had it at the, 
uh, Raleigh Executive Jet Port. I think most of the people that attended uh, flew in. It was a true fly-in. Beautiful weather. Beautiful day. Not a cloud in the sky, literally. Um, and you drove over, Jeff. I drove. Yeah, I was one of the one of the only the few that actually drove. You know, being a a, a pilot, I should have flown, but. I didn't uh, have an airplane to fly over through there. Through some nice uh, scenery. Uh, beautiful scenery through the mountains. The uh, f- uh, Drove through Asheville, North Carolina, and Winston-Salem, home of uh, Krispy Kreme donuts. Um, and, uh, and yes, I did smell the hot donuts as I was driving through on one of the one of the streets in Winston-Salem. You sure it wasn't a car running on oil? No, it was not a car burning oil. It was actually uh, those wonderful... Krispy Kreme donuts that are just melt in your mouth when they're hot. Oh, they're so good. Mm. Anyway, um, and then through Greensboro, and then finally down to uh, Raleigh, or at least the southwest part right of home Raleigh. That night, right? I did. Yes. She's asking if uh, if I drove. So I drove. It was like a little over five hours each way. So I did a lot of driving, but it was worth it because these are my friends, and I love these guys. And uh, their families got to meet their families. And I won one of the door prizes for um, the longest distance traveled with uh, in a car going to their 200th episode. And uh, and then I got, I got a nice coffee mug. I got it over here somewhere. It's over there on my counter. Been using it uh, since I've been back. And uh, the, uh, the first door prize was won by AG's mom. She flew all the way from Washington State. And she uh, ended up grabbing this very nice um, uh, jacket uh, that has the OB um, logo on it. I see it's over on my bed over there. I used it today because it was raining and it's cold outside. It was perfect. You're asking why was I using AG's mom's jacket? jacket? (laughs) Yes, I was wondering. After after the whole thing was over, um, she walked up and she said, you know, this thing is too big for me. And I want you to have it. I went, oh, thank you. Very nice of her. So she gave that to me. And that was so sweet. So, AG, if you're listening, please thank your mom again for uh, giving me her door prize. Uh, And it's a great jacket. It's really nice. I should talk to you guys about maybe getting an APG version of that. It's really, really nice. Anyway. So, uh, oh, and then I I was in the hangar. And I was looking up at the ceiling of the hangar. We've already noted, or Liz has, the large American flag on one of the walls. But the other thing that I noticed was this. Uh, this oh, is. Oh, can you believe that? Fan. It's a big ass fan. It is. It I is. Mean, and I, I snapped it. Those Greg Peterson's winglets. Well, I think they might be. I'm not sure yeah. if that's exactly the, uh, the the design that he came up with or not. I but think I, he's gone. He I, was in the chat. Oh, he was in the chat room, and I guess he's not he's with gone. us right now, according to Liz. But anyway, um, so I saw that and I went, oh! So I snapped the picture, and actually, I I couldn't read from where I was that it said "big ass fans." I just assumed it was a big ass mm-hmm. fan, and I sent it to Greg and said, "Hey, look, look what I spotted here in this hangar," and he goes, "Yeah, I recognize that." So anyway, it's a model 65 K a model 65 K. What? How do you know that Liz? I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. She's kidding. Oh, there's Greg. There's Greg. Oh, Greg's here. <laughs> oh, he worked on this fan. Wow. Is that uh, your winglet uh, design there? Uh, Greg, it doesn't look like the design that you showed us. Uh, although it's mm-hmm. somewhat blurred because the thing was in motion when I took the photo. Um, anyway, 
Uh, it's a PF8. Oh, it's a PF8. You're close, Liz. <laughs> I was darn close. <laughs> yeah. The old PF8. I should have noticed that. Yeah. I recognize that anywhere. Here's that picture of you sitting on your big ass. Uh, I don't want to show that picture, Liz. <laughs> that needs to be burned. And she's talking about not the fan, a big ass, but anyway. Um, nope. Greg says that that's, that one's not his. Oh, well. Anywho. Um, so we had a grand time on Saturday last week and congratulations to opposing bases, RH and, uh, AG. They, uh, put on a great show and, um, uh, I know that they'll have a, at least another 200, um, in the future. So that's what I have been up to since the last episode. Oh, lucky was... you. I'd love to have been there. Yeah. Well, I think you would have enjoyed it. Now, oh, shoot, I forgot to put this in. Uh, how am I gonna, going to uh, share this? Hang on. Um, I'm going to talk about last week. Did I include this as a um, overlay, Liz? Oh, sorry, what are you looking for? Uh, the uh, Slugs, Bugs, and Yaks, the cover art oh. for the last yeah, show. Yeah, I thought I saw it earlier. Okay. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Well, that was smooth. Um, <laughs> yeah, so here we have the show. <laughs> it's very, very, you know, all you people out there trying to kind of meet our standards of professionalism, yeah, can have a hard job. long way to go. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Down. A long way down. Yes. Thanks, Liz. Um, anyway, this is the cover art from our last show, which was entitled slugs, bugs, and yaks. And uh, of course, Guess what we have pictured there? Yes, you're right. A slug who is uh, going up some air stairs. Um, a bug, in this case a, a wasp, because uh, uh, Rick was telling us about the wasp in the cockpit story. And then uh, yaks, um, because uh, Mike uh, Wildman flew, uh, flew this animal, apparently. Yes, yes. No, wait, it was he an airplane. He flew 50 of them. He flew <laughs> yak 50s. Oh, okay. Um, I love those air stairs, the fact they got served fly and there's a wasp. <laughs> Very nice. Oh, you didn't uh, put that on there? It was already like no, that? No, that was on there before. Oh, very good. So, uh, as always, outstanding artwork, sir. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, well, and... it, it wasn't a terribly inspiring title, but there you go. Well, you, it wasn't get, a, you get what you get. It wasn't a terribly inspiring show, to be honest. <laughs> you got a slug of a wasp and a yak. So, yeah. what could you, uh, it kind of reminds me of the uh, the the Mongol uh, Mongolfier. Is that right? The uh, the brothers with the balloon, and they the put ballooners? they put a oh, yeah. uh, um, a goose and uh, a rooster, a sheep. Uh, a sheep and a duck. A duck and a and a okay, yeah, yeah. very similar to a yak, a lot of critters, and a wasp and a slug. <laughs> <laughs> Our version. Hey, uh, yeah. Liz, is uh, Gubby up there, uh, up your way in Ottawa? Is he still trying to do a a, a, a he meetup? Is, and he hasn't had any. <laughs> he has yet. had zero response. <laughs> hey, you Hello. people up there, get it together. Yeah. Hey, I know that Arash uh, lives up there, the guy that does our website. Come on, man. What, what if we can connect them? Like, yeah, we, we should. Send Gubby's email to Arash yeah, or something. We can do that behind the scenes, I think. Make this thing happen. Uh, maybe I need to make a trip up there to uh, 
kind of shake these guys. I am going to be in Montreal in November. That far from Ottawa. That's true. Okay. Anywho, uh, that's enough of getting to know us. And now it's time for the coffee fund. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. It's the Coffee Fund. It's your way to support our show financially. And a couple different ways to do that. One is called the Coffee Fund Classic. And since the last episode, we have three gentlemen, three people who have donated to the show. Vigner Guanison, Pierre Ingblum and Carrie Kenner, who is also a patron of the he's show. Come, and he, yeah, and he's coming to the 500th. Oh, and he's coming to the 500th. Excellent. He, well, he uh, sent us a very, very generous uh, contribution to help offset some of the costs of uh, putting on the 500th episode. So, uh, yep, he and, and his wife are coming. Oh, he and his wife are coming. Good. And they are in the Charlotte area. So, um, thank you all of you for using the coffee fund classic method and the other way to participate in the coffee fund cadre or the coffee bar club is via patreon you can become a patron and we have a new producer oliver bunica as a new producer thank you very much for signing up to become a patron if you want to learn more about how you can do the same. Please head over to airlinepilotguide.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did, and we will too. Feedback. Captain. Feedback. 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 Time message. Timely feedback. <laughs> well, <laughs> not really timely. All uh, right. Let's see. Uh, that's an homage to the... What the heck are you doing over there? <laughs> I'm clanging my beer bottles. Around. Okay. Um, yeah. Need to cut down on that drinking, man. Uh, oh. Let's see here. I'm trying to find... I've only had, I've only had a half pint. I don't know what you, oh. what you mean. Well, you just can't hold your... good boy. You just can't hold your booze anymore. <laughs> um all right, this is feedback sent in from Bruce, and he, let's see, it's regarding a Delta A330 having hydraulic problems. It's a YouTube video from Vass Aviation, and he said, I thought this was an interesting situation, was well, uh, which was well handled by the pilots and crew. What I found particularly, particularly interesting was the approach requested, an RNAV to 1-3 left with a sidestep to 1-3 right. I'm assuming it was to get the longest runway, yeah, but with an RNAV approach into the last possible moment. It would be great to hear crew comments on the likely rationale for this. Perhaps Captain Nick has a good perspective, given his experience with the aircraft type, as well as JFK. Yeah, I have something to say about this as well, because I used to fly this approach. Actually, not the RNAV, but a, it's a very similar approach. It was a VOR that's basically the same track as these uh, RNAVs to 1-3 left and right. Uh, but... Let's go ahead and play this video and uh, see what this is all about. Bass Aviation. All right. 
Uh, Delta Airlines Airbus A330 performing flight 213 from Athens, Greece to New York was on final approach to four right when pilots requested to abandon the approach due to a maintenance issue and would need a longer runway. Delta 213, uh, we have a maintenance issue. We need to hold out to do and uh, proceed and uh, go around. So 213 heavy, roger that. Uh, turn right, heading of 100 and maintain 2000. Cancel your approach, clearance. 100 heading 2000, the altitude, Delta 213, cancel the approach, thanks. They were coming into a four. I thought it was a funny thing to call Delta it. Delta 213 heavy, do you require any assistance? Negative, Delta 213. I'm sorry, what did you say, Nick? I thought it was a funny thing to call it a maintenance issue. It's yeah. Not, uh, if you've got a hydraulic failure, you declare an emergency. Yeah. yeah. What, what, so it, would you have said mayday, 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 we have an... Uh, no, pan, pan, pan. Uh, oh, pan, Hyd pan, pan. Hydraulic failure. Hydraulic failure. Around. Yeah. It is, yeah, it is a little bit interesting terminology that was used here. And what were you saying, Liz? I'm sorry, you were talking when Nick, Nick was talking. Okay. Keep going. Keep okay. Going. All right, here we go. We'll continue. Delta 213 Heavy, contact Delta New York Delta approach on 135.9 or 135.9. 359 Delta 213, thanks. Approach Delta 213 with your 2000. Delta 213 Heavy, New York, uh, Kennedy, Altimeter 3026, uh, fighting 120 and advise and intent. And in 120, if we can stay within... Uh, 15 uh, miles of the airport um, until we uh, go through the uh, procedure for Delta 213. Delta 213, very good. Okay, it says be advised only Delta 213 is displayed on the radar silences and unrelated communications have been deleted. I like when they do that. Delta 213, heavy turn right, right turn heading 310. Right turn 310, Delta 213, right turn. Delta 213, heavy turn left, left turn heading 090. Left turn 090, Delta 213. And if you're watching the video, they're having the, they have the track. Delta 213. Delta 213, heavy, go ahead. Yes, the issue we're having is a hydraulic issue. Uh, it has gone away, but uh, we're showing uh, somewhat low, and the issue might come back as we uh, configure, configure again for our landing. Um, if we do land and we do have an issue, uh, we're going to need to be towed off the uh, gate, uh, off the uh, runaway. So uh, we are requesting the longest runway possible, uh, and we'll let you know if we uh, have an issue on landing again. And uh, ah, it's just uh, an issue. <laughs> clearly, clearly, this is involving some sort of an issue. Yes, exactly right. So, I mean, the simple way to explain this is that the uh, the hydraulic system they they I'm pretty certain that they've got a failure with will be the green system, which is the primary system. It's the only uh, hydraulic system that has a um, um, a sort of leak um, warning uh, because it's the primary issue. When Did you it, say contents gets green? Yeah. Okay, just wondering. <laughs> very good, very good. Um, when it gets below uh, a certain level, it will indicate a warning saying that there's a possible hydraulic leak. Uh, oh. So that alerts you to it. Um, okay. The other systems, you would just get low contents as, they, as it was about to empty. So um, the thing is, though, that the green powers, the, uh, the major systems, including the undercarriage. Um, if they had the 
failure with the undercarriage down. There's so much fluid that has gone into the great big hydraulic jacks that push the undercarriage down that will lower the contents considerably so if you've had a bit of a leak it may go below that minimum level and bring up the leak warning um, when you raise the gear all that hydraulic fluid gets pumped back into the reservoir and you fill the reservoir up and the leak ah, warning goes away we don't have a problem anymore so, <laughs> exactly. Until and I think this is exactly what the guy is saying. Uh, <laughs> we don't have the problem right now where the hydraulic fluid seems mm -hmm. to be sufficient. But when we put the gear down, it may well reoccur. And if it gets low enough, we will lose the, um, you know, some of the hydraulic systems, including the nose for steering, which is why they will need to be ah. towed off the runway because they won't be able to steer the airplane off the runway. Uh, so, that is what they're sorting out in their minds, I think. And they won't know what their final situation will be until they put the gear back down. Okay. Let's uh, continue on. So we need a, like a 50-mile final, please. Delta 213 Heavy, okay. We'll work on a runway. Um, and uh, are you ready to uh, start heading back in now, or do you need more time? Um. We can uh, start heading back, and uh, runway one three right will be very good for us. Which happens to be the longest runway available at Kennedy. Yeah, nice and long. There, there isn't a huge um, dis landing distance penalty for this particular failure because you've got alternate brakes, and they're just as good as the main brakes running off one of the alternate uh, hydraulic systems. The blue or the yellow, I can't quite remember now. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, it's always sensible when you've got a hydraulic problem to take a Just in case. Way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, stand by. Roger. Delta 213 Heavy, it's going to have to be a uh, an RNAV approach. Uh, w would that be all right? It's not going to, well, it's going to be, you know, one of those Canarsie approaches. So Canarsie, not a curvy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is curvy and Canarsie, it is curvy, but, but it's Canarsie. I guess is what if he's they're doing an RNAV approach, they're not going via the Canarsie VOR, so they can't call it a Canarsie, can they? But it's over Canarsie, New York. Um, but oh, uh, okay, yeah. I didn't know that was yeah, the place. That's why I it's called it was just the, the name of the VOR. Yeah. Okay. Actually, uh, Liz is correcting me. It's the neighborhood. It's not like a a township or a city, but it's a neighborhood called Canarsie. Right. I don't know. But what does she know? She's from Canada. It's going to be a very long final for one three right. <laughs> okay, stand, stand by. Let me get back to you. Delta yeah, 213 because, uh, heavy. Go ahead. Uh, effectively, they've asked for a straight in, 15 miles straight in. I think that's what they would like, ideally. They're not going to get there. They're going to get a 90-degree turn um, and about a three-mile straight in. So it's whether they're willing to accept And, and why is that, Nick? Why couldn't they just vector them right over the top of Manhattan and give them a nice straight 15, 20-mile <laughs> uh, final There on is actually right. an ILS for one there of those is. runways. I'm trying to, yeah. Uh, yeah. But it, noise abatement is such a sensitive problem that even if you've got an emergency, unless the captain is going to insist on a 15-mile straight in for a runway, they're not going to give it to him. Let's not forget that there is another very, very busy airport that oh, is of course, yes. right of course, next yeah, to LaGuardia. Kennedy. Yeah, LaGuardia. And yeah. they can't 
So, so that reason, would probably shut LaGuardia for 20 yeah, minutes. <laughs> exactly. That's why they're not going to, uh, unless they, you know, th if they said, hey, look, we're an emergency, this is what we want, and this is what we're going to do, well, they would have to comply with that. Yeah, but they they're, would, not, yeah. they're not doing that. They're saying, okay, we can fly this Canarsie uh, uh, approach to uh, 1 3 right. Okay, let's continue. Yeah, yeah also turn left and left turn heading of uh, 280. Left turn 280, Delta 213. Uh, the RNF for uh, 3 1 right will be okay for Delta 213. Uh, 3 1 right? No. Delta 213 heavy. Right. The RNF is 3 1 right or, or 1 3 uh, right? 1 3 right, Delta 213. Yeah. Uh, 1 3 right, 3 1 right, same difference. 3 right. Is there an RNF for 1 3 right? I don't think so. Heavy turn left hitting 1 8 0. Might be. Heading 180, left hand Delta 213. Delta 213, Abby, it's not an urgent thing that you get to the approach, right? No, it's not Delta 213. No, no, my hydraulic's just leaking all over New York. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Yeah, but they're used to it. <laughs> uh, oh, I thought I hit play. Here we Delta go. Delta in the altitude, Delta 213, cancel the first action. Oh, wait, what happened here? Uh, I think I accidentally hit the uh the queue okay let me yeah let me see let me try to get it back to where we were okay darn it an errant mic or not mic uh what is it called a uh, mouse cursor flick oh there's the vor well here this is interesting i think i know why they requested this and then why they didn't get it Oh. We can talk about that in a second. Okay, I think we're on track again. And Delta 213 requesting the VOR to 13 right. Delta 213, that'll be very good. Expect the VOR to runway 13 right. Yeah, I was just looking up the approaches there. And uh, we'll have a turn uh, towards that in a little bit here. Roger, Delta 213. All right. They've got the VOR. And approach Delta 213. To do the uh, RNAV to one three left and sidestep to the uh, right side for Delta two thirteen. So I think what happened. Uh, <laughs> and this is just my. I'm just surmising here. Uh, but you know, if you're an old head like me and Nick, uh, you're used to the VOR and the RNAV is basically taken over the same kind of a track over Canarsie, uh, coming in for the left and right one threes. Um, but I think what happened is, you know, the captain may have said, well, let's just do the VOR. And then they went, they probably went into their FMS database and, ah, where's the VOR? They probably don't have it <laughs> in their database. It out of the database. They may have actually had it in their, in their JAP. I didn't check my JAPs to see if it's still listed uh, in there, but it, they, on, on this video, they're throwing it up, um, an image of the, the Jeppesen uh, VOR to uh, 1.3. But uh, I think that's what happened because sometimes we'll have it in our JEP uh, or EFB, electronic flight bag. Uh, but then when your particular airplane, you go into the box to see what approaches are in there. And sometimes they're not there, even though it's in your yeah. electronic flight yeah. bag. Those boxes don't have an infinite memory. No. And quite often they go and weed out the ones you're unlikely to need except right. today. <laughs> I wanted that approach Yeah, today, I was really please. hoping to do the VOR. I mean, I've flown the VOR. <laughs> yeah. 
to these runways, or mostly one three left, many, many, many times. Oh, likewise, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and because it uh, serves both runways, mm -hmm. you don't need to faff about. You can... Once you get to Canarsie or once you get to the yep. decision point, you can either turn a, take a gentle turn for the left or a tight turn for the right. Up yeah, you can you. take the fork in the road and you go to which one, whichever runway they tell you to. And and sometimes, <laughs> and we've we've talked about it on the show before, uh, people have like taken the wrong path uh, oh, yes. <laughs> to the wrong runway, and then people uh, like wait, holding short of that runway go. Uh, are they going to the to one three right or one three left i think they're supposed to be going to one three left but it looks like they're lining up on the runway that you just told me to uh, line up and wait on uh, so you might want to do something about this yeah 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 it happens exactly. it, it has, it, i've watched it in fact i've got pictures of a Qantas a380 mm. turning onto the wrong runway and having to do a go around yeah yeah yeah, it's not. It's happened many times, and it probably will continue to happen in the future. And that's why, you know, you got to have vigilance out there and seeing what's going on. You know. All right. Two thirteen. Uh, okay, uh, uh, Roger. That. Stand by. I'm just uh, coordinating with the tower. Thank you. Right, Delta two thirteen heavy. The tower is going to need the uh, fuel, fuel remaining in pounds and souls uh, on board. 297 souls for Delta 213, and uh, fuel is 20.3. That's a good load. 20.3 uh, Delta 213. Delta 213, thank you. 20.3 thousand. Uh. <laughs> Delta 213 heavy, turn right heading 270. My turn, 270, Delta 213. And Delta 213 heavy, uh, just uh, what's the approach you want to do again? <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> what the hell is going on? RNAV to one three left, and then we're going to sidestep to the uh, right side to one three right. Delta two thirteen heavy. Okay, so the RNAV is to runway one three left with a sidestep to one three right. That's correct, Delta two thirteen. Delta two thirteen heavy approach one two eight point one two. Twenty eight twelve. Delta two thirteen. Bye bye. You were going to say something next. So I'm assuming there isn't an RNAV to one three right because I, I can't imagine why they would. Do the one three left approach if there was a one three right. Yeah, approach. I don't know. I, again, I didn't look. I should have um, in my I'm flight bag to see if just the, another I, I'm a, question I'm, up here. Yeah, I'm assuming that there's probably not one to the one three right, so you could just sidestep. And I, I'm getting that the weather was such that they could probably almost yeah, fly it, a visual it, approach. It, it's not a difficult thing to do because mm -hmm. it's what we always used to do with the VOR. Uh, you're just replacing that with an RNAV, and you're just yeah. turning early to make the right-hand runway right okay so they switched them to 28 12 and there's no audio they from live HC. Four four more times. <laughs> so now we're on tower frequency heavy county tower runway one three left continuum bound report runway one three right in sight please and expect landing clearance to the runway in sight continue for one three left we'll let you know what's inside one three right delta two uh 13. So they'll surely be putting the gear down, I'd have thought. If mm -hmm. they're right down runway inside for Delta 213. I would think so. Delta 213 heavy, clear visual approach, runway 13 right. Runway 13 right, clear to land. Go for the visual 13 right. 13 right, clear to land at 213. Looks like they're at 2,000 feet, and then finally they're starting to go. 999, Costin, Jet Blast, at Taxiway Papa Alpha, proceed on runway 13 right. 999, Pacino, 13 right, and Papa Alpha. And there's a nice... 213, uh, stay in tension. 
Sooner or later. Stop here for a second, Delta 213. View. Heavy, Roger. Uh, just let me know if you require any further assistance, and you may communicate on 121.65. Let you know, 12165, Delta 213. Okay. Happy ending. I think they say that they actually they were inspected and they were able to taxi to the gate, so they didn't get have to get towed. So it was just uh, not a big uh, not a big deal after all. But you never know. No, I've I've probably had four of these failures in the three thirty. Sorry, the three forty, which mm-hmm. is almost identical systems. It wasn't unusual. Um, for a while, I think we were getting <laughs> getting through a lot of O rings. <laughs> Wow. So, uh, and what used to happen, because we had this leak uh, indication, if we were setting off from somewhere a long way away uh, and we got the leak warning coming up going, oh, damn it, we'd watch the hydraulic contents and if it was continuing to drop, we'd turn off the green hydraulics and we would preserve the contents of the reservoir because it's not under pressure anymore. It's not going to be forced out of a leak. Until we got to finals at the uh, at our arrival airport, then we'd turn it back on, quickly put the gear and flaps down, and get all that configured. And then if it emptied, it didn't really matter. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, that, that was the, the trick we used to mechanisms. play. mechanisms. Uh, yeah, once it's safely down, it's safely yeah. down. Uh, you don't need hydraulics to hold it in place anymore. Okay. Very good. Yeah, now, but, so getting back to our um, uh, Bruce, who sent in this feedback, he said that um, it, what he'd like to hear our comments regarding the likely rationale for the uh, the RNAV approach to 1-3 left with a sidestep to 1-3 right. And I kind of think we pretty much have covered that while we were listening to the video. They didn't have the approach for the one, three, right. The Mm -hmm. to one, three, right. Or it didn't, it doesn't exist or I don't know, or it just wasn't in the box for them to, to, to type it in. So, and so in the normal flow of of traffic because of the winds and the runways that are active for landing and takeoff at LaGuardia, uh, this is just the, if you're going to use one, three left or right, this is the the way you have to approach the airport kind of uh, on this really weird kind of a track over Canarsie and then, you know, kind of whip it around to the right and, um, and land on the, uh, you know, keeping it pretty close in because you don't want to mess with the, uh, with the airspace uh, next to LaGuardia. Um, Alistair is saying, yeah, both RNAs are the same initial fix and the same track. Yeah. It's just the only difference is that at, at the point at which you, uh, break off and head for either the left runway or the right runway. Um, initially, they were coming out on four right. Uh, I, I guess the main flow of traffic that day was to the fours, four left and four right. And uh, because they wanted to have that extra margin for safety, they wanted the longer runway and the best way, not the only way to do it, but the best way for the uh, traffic conditions on that day was this uh, RNAV approach. And that's why they ended up uh, requesting that. Yeah, uh, the, the only real reason for wanting a long straight approach is uh, just to get through the configuration. And if you do um, suck all the contents out of the hydraulic system, you're then going to have to do the drills associated with it. So you don't really want to be uh, messing about during that period. You want to be nicely stabilized, everything sorted out, so you can concentrate on doing the drills, which the Kanazi approach doesn't really allow you to do. You've got to concentrate on that approach a little bit because you've got to hit the cues and then get the aircraft in a turn and visually acquire the runway and 
complete the turn on and properly. Um, so I can understand why they'd want a straight in approach, but um, obviously, you know, if you can't get it, you can't get it. Yep. All right. Let's move on to uh, this feedback from Carl. Uh, he says nothing. This is an, uh, a link to a newsweek.com article. Um, let's see a man cited allegedly operating private airport on his property. Nothing too odd about the story other than perhaps a cautionary tale with pilots with a dream. There is a gem in here though, as the media normally, they struggle with pictures and it's usually identification. In this case, they went for the non sequitur. I highly doubt that this 2000 foot private airstrip that, uh, they're talking about in this article rep, um, really was looked anything like this at LaGuardia airport. <laughs> if so, I would imagine his neighbors are very upset with uh, him operating airplanes Absolutely. on this private airstrip. More quality journalism. Yes. More quality uh, journalism. Yeah. Um, yeah. A random I guess, airplane picture. I guess the the guy brought bought this property that had a private airstrip. It doesn't really. I, I was. I'm just guessing. It's probably like a a dirt or a grass strip, and I guess they it hadn't been used for. I don't know. I don't remember exactly the number of years, like twenty years or something like that. And then all of a sudden, uh, the guy started flying airplanes off of it, and the neighbors are going, "What the? Ah, what's going on here?" And they were complaining. Uh, Technically, isn't that a taxiway, not a runway? Um, yes, Liz, you are correct. The picture here is the airplane that we're seeing. There is actually on those two couple of airplanes. Three are on a taxiway, and it's not a private airstrip. Even it's a private. Yeah, taxiway. but oh, if you look a light slightly to the right of the frame, oh, though, yeah. you see that airplane taking off. That is the oh, runway over there. So we can kind of give them, like you know, a little bit of credit. Little, okay. not much, just a little bit. So, this picture was put there just in case you had no idea what an airport looked like. Yes, exactly. <laughs> You're helping the public. Comment Nick. from Alistair here. Absolutely. <laughs> LaGuardia sometimes feels like it's a 2,000 foot grass strip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think uh, couple, one of them 7,000 and one 7,001. We always talk about, you know, take having the long runway. Which is the one foot longer? <laughs> Very good. I don't know if it's still that Very way. But it's extra foot. Yeah, the extra foot helps. could make a difference. Just, yeah. just. Well, never mind. Um, let's continue with uh, this. Was from Dominic O'Kelly on Facebook. Uh, hole in runway. Hi guys, just thought you might find this interesting. I live in Sydney, and on Thursday last week we had a big line of thunderstorms roll over Sydney. I wonder if it's that same storm system that hit Brisbane and that uh, that Qantas seventy uh, seven. Actually, a couple of weeks ago, it's been around. For oh, okay, it's been a little longer. Okay, well, this time of year, I guess it's uh, they have some nasty weather. Some of the damage included a whopping center roof collapsing due to the weight the of hail. Center. Oh, I'm sorry. A whop oh, a sh <laughs> it says whopping. A shopping center roof collapsing <laughs> due to the weight of hail. Well, this and, was a whopping shopping center. Well, it was a whopping shopping center, yes. Uh, due to the weight of hail and a tornado <laughs> rolling over the town of Armadale, north of Sydney. Uh, hang on, let me see. I have uh, some pictures here that we can look at. Um, looks like lightning hit the yeah. runway and uh, caused Boom. a little hole. Yeah. Well, I that's a pretty big little hole. Yeah, but you know, I guess that's a like a pen for um, 
for comparison purposes. So it's not oh, really. I, I thought it was a yardstick. Yeah. Well, I, w- I thought that at first too. And then I looked a little bit more closely and went, no, that's like a big pen. Well, uh, mind so you, they've got the pe- pen about halfway into that hole. Yeah. It's got to be about three inches deep. Yeah. It's a deep hole for sure. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I was coming into um, Melbourne airport uh, several years ago and there was a thunderstorm rolling through, and, and we had to hold for a while because uh, lightning hit hit that runway and put a little hole in it. But the the airport vehicles uh, went out there and you know checked it out and said that it's going to be okay. You can come in and land. So we didn't have to divert. But uh, it happens, apparently. Um, it's a nice, neat hole to fix, though. You could just pour some tar in there, presumably. Yeah, I guess. He said, I've never seen that kind of pavement damage from lightning. Thor oh, must have been fierce. angry that day. <laughs> yes, Thor <laughs> yeah. was angry. Yes. He uh, was. Yep. That's a lot Thor. of Thor. He was uh, he's a Thor loser. Um, oh, I like that. I like this. Are we sure it's lightning? Maybe the fell pen fell out of oh, the balloon. Good point, Captain Cruz. Grant flying around in his balloon. He leaned over and his pen yeah. fell out. That's, oh, by the way, there's there's uh, some balloon stuff in today's plane tale. Listen out for it. Uh-oh. Okay. We'll, we'll have a listen. Yeah. Uh, this, somebody named Liz sent us some feedback. Um, no, we're not uh-oh. doing this one. Didn't oh, this will be rude. We're not doing this one, you said? Didn't you say you wanted to skip this one? Um, no. Oh, no. I, okay, you're doing this one. You're, okay, right. go ahead. Okay, go here on. we go. Carry on. All right. Control room is... Uh, Confused. Confused. (laughs) As helicopters fill the skies, New Yorkers just want some peace. So I I was thinking, uh, I read this article about uh, helicopters and all the noise that they're making, and I said, you think that the helicopter noise is bad? Just wait until all the drones are flying around. Uh, yep, exactly right. Complaints about commercial helicopters.com. Yeah, com- com- complaints about commercial helicopters have soared in the last year as ah. the pandemic, oh yeah, very cute. As the pandemic changed the rhythms of New York City and the people who live there. 5 years ago, New York banned sightseeing helicopters from using its landing pads on Sundays, ostensibly giving residents one day of respite from the thumping overhead parade that had spurred thousands of complaints. But the prohibition has not turned Sundays into a day of peace. Far from it. The city is still being buzzed by helicopters more than 150 times on some Sundays and hundreds more times on weekdays. All that noise is driving many New Yorkers who have been stuck in their apartments during the pandemic to near constant distraction. Anyway, they go on and talking about all these people complaining about the noise. But they said one of the things that's really kind of made things worse, Nick, is the fact that during the pandemic and the lack of all these helicopters doing all their flights uh, have kind of changed the way people consider noise in New York. I mean, it was, it was a constant thing that they never really thought much about, but then once it's gone there and then it come, comes back they go, wait a minute, we don't like, we like it when it's not very noisy. (laughs) So now you're you're quite right. And I can understand that entirely. In fact, uh, we've got a sort of local area, a community app that people talk about, you know, problems in the community. And someone has just mm-hmm. 
opened up a thread about the awful plane noise uh, going over a local village nearby. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, I think it's really only because they've been so quiet during the pandemic um, that now things are starting to get vaguely back to normal. People are suddenly noticing an increase in aircraft noise that always used to be there, but mm-hmm. has, has, has been absent. They got used to that beautiful quiet. Yep. Yep. And uh, so it's understandable now that they're going, wait a minute, we like it the way it was the, during that first pandemic year when yeah, but it was nice I, and I'm quiet. Going, New York, quiet. There's really no such thing as quiet in New York. And yeah, most true. of these helipads are on the edges of the river. So mm-hmm. most, a lot of the noise is, is uh, out over the water rather than into apartments. And true. so I'm going, eh. Yeah. All right. Uh, Mark, Mark Van. Oh, this is a twin Van Ram uh, feedback episode. Uh, Tim earlier and now Mark. <laughs> uh, Air Force Reserve pilot sets record. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Car- John Carl Marks, an Air Force Reserve pilot assigned to the 442nd Fighter Wing, made history September 1st, 2021, as he became the only pilot to reach 7,000 hours in the A-10C Thunderbolt II, in addition to becoming one of the highest-time fighter pilots in the U.S. Air Force. Now, you being a former uh, fighter pilot, Nick, tell us how easy it is to rack up that much time in a fighter. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a real a milestone getting to a thousand hours. Mm-hmm. If you got a thousand hours on an aircraft uh, uh, type, you know, fighter type. Not that I'm actually going to kind of like classify the um, uh, the warthog as a fighter. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a combat airplane. I'll yeah. give it that. Yeah, yeah, um, and a very good one. But he's a ground pounder. He's a mud That's mover. True. He's not a fighter pilot. Anyway, right. by the by, I, I don't mean to denigrate him. Uh, 1,000 hours sure. is considered a real milestone, and you get a patch and you get it presented to you, and that's brilliant. I got 1,000 hours in Phantoms, and I got 1,000 hours as an instructor in Hawks, and they're the two, only two aircraft I managed to achieve the 1,000-hour mark. To get 7,000 hours is unbelievable. I mean, mm. the guy must have been the hog of the month continuously for his entire career to have cracked up 7,000 hours, but a very impressive total. Yeah, um, yes. um, yeah, that's brilliant. And no doubt that um, they gave him the world's biggest knee boards uh, <laughs> as a result. That was his present. Uh, the ones he's the sporting there? Yeah, they're, they're very <laughs> yeah, large. Yeah, the world's largest knee boards. <laughs> <laughs> well. And it was a lovely present they gave him. And what was the, what was the plaque say? 7,000 hours? Yeah, Lieutenant oh, Colonel. Oh, it's an arrowhead or something, yeah. is it? I guess, or maybe Perhaps that's the... squadron symbol or something? It uh, could be. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. He, yeah, he, he looks like he's flown 7,000, actually, <laughs> actually, doesn't he? I mean, he, he really does. <laughs> Well done, sir. Well, yes. Way to go. Congrats from the APG. Absolutely. Of Lieutenant course, that Dan Warthog goes so slow that it takes you 7,000 hours to get anywhere. But uh, what <laughs> well, can you say? Speaking of hogs, <laughs> let's move to this next one. Here we go. Oh, my God. Amsterdam's Schiphol Airport has recruited Is pigs. That, they've, left, they've left the first officer behind. <laughs> to keep geese, <laughs> a potential hazard to planes, off its runways. What? A team of 20 pigs is grazing farmland between runways, clearing residue from the sugar beet harvest. 
What are they doing growing sugar beet on an airfield? I don't know. On which geese like to feed. The geese like to... green. Yeah. But these are sensitive, intelligent creatures. So I'm also very tasty. how they feel <laughs> being so close to the runways. Here they got like four soccer fields and they have the same houses, the same water system, the same feed system. So for us it's really normal to keep them like this way. The airport lies below sea level, which makes for fertile farmland and attracts birds <laughs> seeking to forage and roost, but means a constant battle with nature to keep the runways clear. Last year, 150 bird strikes were recorded at Schiphol Airport. Oh, that's nasty. Yeah. Is there any evidence the pigs are having an impact? Well, you don't want to impact a pig. The but few weeks no. they're here, there were no birds seen in this field. They're scared of the pigs. <laughs> pigs are being used in uh, tandem with bird-scaring technology, including sound generators and green lasers. Oh, look at the cute little pig. Yeah, great-looking pig. Yeah. Yeah. And then I thought well, you would make I, some I comment about the pig, the uh, airplane that we're seeing right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, a good point, yes. <laughs> All right. Is, uh, that was from the BBC, by the way. Uh, so oh, that's good. I mean, uh, it, it's, a, it's a clever way to uh, get rid of uh, a possible food source for the birds. Uh, you get to feed pigs uh, and you get to eat lovely bacon as mm. a result. And you keep the aircraft, uh, you know, the airfield, sorry, um, clear of birds that would otherwise be munching on that sugar beet. Yeah. Or whatever. That was sent to us, by I the think way. That's the story. From yeah. Mike Moore. Thank you, Mike. Um, oh, send more, Mike. Send Mike. Oh, yeah, I get it. Uh, <laughs> speaking of Mike, another Mike Cochran, Mike Cochran, uh, the guy that gave us those wonderful um, uh, Yeti tumblers and oh, other goodies. things, yes. And absolutely. the luggage tags, and he's uh, a great guy. Anyway, he said, this one made me chuckle. This new helicopter is so advanced that, quote, it can even land itself in the event the helicopter experiences engine failure. Auto-rotation, auto-land? He says all aircraft have the yeah. capability to land eventually with an engine failure. Crash yeah. land. <laughs> okay. <laughs> true. Uh, Mike's quite the critic here. I think we have a little bit of video to play oh, while we're um, Don't be mean. They're poor helicopter pilots. They can't. A new CHP helicopter based in Thermal will help provide more advanced air 3. support missions in and around the Coachella Valley. In a News Channel 3 exclusive, Crystal Jimenez gets an up-close and personal look at its capabilities. Up-close and personal. All right, so I'm going to turn down the volume here and read a little bit of this article. Uh, California Highway nice Patrol. Airbus. Yeah, it's an Airbus helicopter. California Highway Patrol says it will begin assisting the Coachella Valley with its newest premier aircraft as soon as next week. With a state-of-the-art system as far as helicopters go, the 2021 Airbus H125 will provide air support in and around the Coachella Valley where it is needed. This new helicopter is the 11th of the 15 helicopters CHP is replacing throughout the state. It can travel straight at 180 miles per hour, reach up to 23,000 feet altitude, has advanced Ooh. technology regarding its uh, optics uh, forward-looking infrared radar FLIR technology and even has a rescue hoist. All of these features will help conduct missions in the treacherous parts of the Coachella Valley. 
The aircraft has an autopilot feature that can be turned on in the event the aircraft flies through sand or clouds. The autopilot helps the helicopter adjust and fly itself to where it needs to go. It can even land itself in the event the helicopter experiences engine failure. This is what Mike was kind of pimping Don't a little we bit. we have a CHP helicopter pilot in the APG community? I right. think uh, Liz say. is asking Jan, if Jan we... Sears, Jan yeah, Sears. Jan uh, Sears. I don't think he's a helicopter pilot, though. I think he's a fixed-wing oh, okay. CHP yeah, guy. he flew right? the uh, Australian uh, Oh, what's that called? Yeah. Gyps. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Gipper. Okay. Gips. Something like that. Something like that, yeah. I never actually saw it, but he, he invited me to. But I've got some... A film of that he took of me getting airborne from mm-hmm. his uh, amazing camera system That's on that aircraft. PM. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. That was very, very cool. Anyway, he's one of our North uh, Northern California APGers, West Coast. West Coast I, I, I've still got the fantastic T-shirt he gave me and his challenge coin. Thank nice. you very much for that, Jim. All right, so there you have it: the, the new helicopter in the Coachella Valley. And uh, which can do just magical things. All right. Maybe do maybe do Roberts quickly, okay. and then we could probably do the plain tail. Okay, we're going to do the next one here before we do this week's uh, installment of the plain tail. This is from Robert, and you know he sent us some feedback. Robert from Tucker now um, about something, and I said, "Hmm, I'm I'm kind of surprised we didn't get any report from Robert regarding the." 5k on the atlanta fifth runway and uh he uh, heeded my my uh, call out and sent us in some video from that event here's robert um let's see some pictures that he's showing here okay now we have some music this is robert up on stage singing he's got a very high voice (laughs) Very talented. It's it's the running shorts that do that. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit too tight. Yeah. Yeah. So it's some um, photos here. Uh, very early, and it looks like at night, uh, but it's very very early in the morning. They had to finish this whole thing by seven thirty, I believe. And uh, so it looks like a like a concert, like a music concert or a whatever. Um, and some more still pictures here. And then here's Robert. Good morning, crew. Um, the, the EMTs just uh, rode past me to make sure I'm okay, but I'm fine. <laughs> we need to get Robert um, some kind of a microphone with a uh, with a wind um, uh, deflector. Or, yeah, a muff. Are you, are you telling me that Robert has too much wind? Uh, he does, and he needs a muff. <laughs> um, so you have to be off the uh, fifth runway by uh, 7.30. Um, but I'll put in the... Uh, notes here that uh, I think the notice sticker is closed to like 11 or 12 I found that uh, a day or two ago so I'm out on the uh, taxiway uh, headed towards the uh, fifth runway at ATL wow it's a beautiful morning it's still dark out obviously this is at uh, 6.30 it reminds me of that uh, crew log that I did <laughs> I wish I could run all stars up front, but uh, not in that good a shape. But uh, I think this is technically the second time I've done the uh, the walk. Um, did it virtually one year. But I uh, hope the crew is doing all well. We fly out to uh, Vegas. 
But sorry that uh, video cut off, but uh, all is well. Hope the crew is doing well. Hope you guys are doing. And uh, happy Halloween. And uh, talk to you all soon. Thanks. Okay. It's very windy, obviously. If, if you want so to... If you can't tell, those are all people out there. And the all-stars that are already <sighs> almost finished, <laughs> halfway through. Now they're running, getting their uh, their times in for the yeah. uh, oh, yeah, race, for This is one of the qualifying events. She's that the one flashing. Me, all the way yeah. to that. <gasps> Steph. But I'm here. Stop flashing. <laughs> anyway, there's another couple of photos here of some uh, nice. Delta airplanes. There's the cleanup crew coming to get us. Uh-oh. <laughs> They're cleaning up all the dead runners <laughs> that didn't make it. Anyway, if you want to uh, if you if you want to understand what he's saying uh, and you can read lips, uh please watch the uh, video which will be in the show notes and uh, or if you're watching the show recording video, you might be able to decipher what he's saying. But it, basically, it was out there early and uh got the run in and uh, had a great time. That's what I gathered from it. Yeah, and good job, too. Yeah. Well done. Good job, sir. Okay, now that brings us... Control room, is it time? Yes, I think sir. it is. Okay, it is now time for us to play the old pilot's plane tale for this week, and it's entitled Speed Light Bravo. So take it away, old pilot. The old pilot's plain tales. Speedlight Bravo. Go back through a couple of hundred plain tales, and if you pick out the eighth that I did, you'll find the story of the Tsar Bomba, the King of Bombs. The Central Intelligence Agency had blandly dubbed it Joe 111, and the Russian physicists involved merely called it the Big Bomb. But the Soviet Premier, Nikita Khrushchev, tellingly called it Kuzak's mother, a reference to an old Russian saying that meant you're about to teach someone a harsh and unforgettable lesson. If you can recall the story, you'll remember that the Tsar Bomba was the most powerful nuclear weapon ever detonated by any nation. The Soviet scientists originally intended the bomb to have a 100 megaton yield. They used a three-stage Tela-Ulam lithium dry fuel configuration, similar to the thermonuclear device first demonstrated by the United States during the Castle Bravo weapon, the first in a series of high-yield thermonuclear weapon design tests at the Bikini Atoll. Castle Bravo's yield was an unexpected 15 megatons, two and a half times the expected force, due to an unexpected reaction involving lithium-7, which led to radioactive contamination of large areas east of the atoll. The fallout of that weapon spread around the world, but it was most apparent on nearby US Navy ships, innocent Japanese fishing vessels and other atolls downwind. 
The fallout spread traces of radioactive material as far as Australia, India and Japan, and even the United States and parts of Europe. Though organized as a secret test, Castle Bravo quickly became an international incident, prompting calls for a ban on the atmospheric testing of thermonuclear devices. It remains the largest weapon ever detonated by the United States. Concerns about the possible level of fallout from the Tsar bomber prompted Russian scientists to use lead tampers that dialed down the yield to half the bomb's capability. Interestingly enough, Tsar Bomba was one of the cleanest nuclear weapons ever detonated because the bomb's design eliminated 97% of the possible fallout. However, a clean bomb wasn't the Soviet Union's main concern. Between 1949 and 1962, the Soviets set off 214 nuclear bombs in the open air until the United Nations banned atmospheric tests worldwide. The billions of radioactive particles released into the air, as was the case in the Castle Bravo test, exposed countless people to highly mutagenic and carcinogenic materials, resulting in a myriad of deleterious genetic maladies and deformities. It was earlier, on the 9th of September 1949, that the director of the CIA handed President Harry Truman a carefully worded report of an abnormal radioactive contamination in the northern Pacific that greatly exceeded normal levels in the atmosphere. Whilst uncertain as to the cause, the CIA's first hypothesis was that an atomic explosion had occurred on the continent of Asia. This proved to be accurate, as it was the first Soviet test of a nuclear device. A few days later, to the dismay of the Soviets, President Truman announced that they had the evidence to prove that within recent weeks an atomic explosion occurred in the USSR. In order to track the presence of radiological debris in the atmosphere, the US government had authorised the Air Force to undertake missions on behalf of the Air Force Office of Atomic Energy. The aircraft they used was a modified B-29 called Afoat-1 and designated a WB-29, the W relating to a weather service role. The aircraft was able to pass external air through fine filters, and after completing a flight from Misawa in Japan to Ellison in Alaska, the filters were examined with a huge Geiger counter, which revealed radioactive material. Afterwards, the aircraft had to be decontaminated by washing it down with a thick, gunky substance. It took a complex chain of events involving more flights to collect additional air samples, consultations among US government scientists and contractors, including radiological analysis by Tracer Lab and Los Alamos Laboratory, and secret conferences with the British government, for the U.S. intelligence community to confirm their conclusion that Moscow had, indeed, conducted a nuclear test. The intelligence services in the United States called the first Soviet bomb 
Joe won. The discovery that Washington had lost its nuclear monopoly would have a decisive impact on US diplomacy and military policy. It was one of the stimuli for a 1950 intra-agency report which called for massive military spending to offset the political and military impact of Stalin's first bomb. Which is exactly what the Soviets had hoped to avoid by keeping their bomb project secret. Even when they responded to Truman's announcement, they did not acknowledge that they had tested a weapon. For many years, the US government kept the details of how they had detected Joe One secret, although that didn't stop informed journalistic speculation. No one, without a need to know and a very high security clearance, had any idea what Aflot One did. Nevertheless, the Soviets, who had been assiduously gathering intelligence on the US nuclear program, which saved them a year or two in building their own bomb, learned how the test had been detected from spies at the British Embassy. In the early 50s, the USAF's B-47 nuclear bomber came onto the scene, and it took part in Operation Greenhouse, Ivy, Castle and Red Wing, in a series of nuclear tests, the latter of which would be followed by a reconnaissance version of the same aircraft designed to sample the air for fallout. Designated the RB-47K, in addition to cameras, sideways-looking radar and air-sampling gear, it could drop weather sensors, which would radio back atmospheric data. Of course, the RB-47Ks wouldn't just examine United States nuclear test data. It would be on the lookout for what could be gleaned from Soviet tests as well. In addition, these aircraft would be involved in operational missions overflying Soviet airfields, which began in 1952, and the USAF was soon routinely probing Soviet airspace. They could normally avoid confrontations by evading and using their speed to escape, but at least five were fired on and three shot down. The RB-47s returned fire with their tail turrets, equipped with a pair of radar-laid automatic M24A1 cannons, which had a cyclic rate of seven to 800 rounds a minute, but no kills were confirmed. It's interesting that the US Air Force didn't just rely on aircraft to detect Soviet nuclear bomb tests. They used balloons. Project Mogul was a highly classified project to fly high-altitude balloons with the aim of detecting the sound waves generated by nuclear explosions. The project was conceived by Maurice Ewing, who had researched sound movement through the water and had now turned his attention to the air. He theorised that there would be a certain air pressure and temperature where sound waves would propagate and stay within a narrow channel due to refraction, travelling long distances. In order to carry the array of disc microphones and radio transmitters required, the team developed enormous polyethylene plastic balloons which, through release of ballast, could maintain a relatively constant altitude. 
The project was moderately successful, but was very expensive, and was superseded by a network of seismic detectors and air sampling for fallout, which was cheaper, more reliable, and easier to deploy and operate. Of course, the cancellation of Mogul might have been because of the decades of conspiracy theories that followed the crash of the Project Mogul Flight 4 balloon in the desert near Roswell, New Mexico. Unlike a weather balloon, the Project Mogul paraphernalia was massive and contained unusual types of materials. To the untrained eye, the reflectors looked extremely odd, a geometrical hash of lightweight sticks and sharp angles made of metal foil. Photographs of it, taken in 1947 and published in newspapers, show bits and pieces of what are obviously collapsed balloons and radar reflectors. A subsequent military cover-up of this top-secret balloon and the true nature of its flight have given rise to conspiracy theories from UFO enthusiasts ever since. The task of monitoring air samples moved on to at least three other types of aircraft, the U-2, the WB-50 Superfortress, and the JKC-135, a derivative of the KC-135 refuelling aircraft. Several U-2s were modified with air sampling equipment as part of the High Altitude Sampling Program, HASP, and flown by U.S. Air Force pilots on Operation Crow Flight. This involved placing a valved air intake into the nose and air scoops mounted on the port and starboard sides of the fuselage to capture air samples and subsequently examine them for radioactive particles in the upper atmosphere. A large proportion of these ultra-secret U-2 missions were flown for the Air Force Special Weapon Project and later the Defence Nuclear Agency. When the French began test explosions, they continued to monitor those as part of Project Seeker. By the time the Soviet Union had moved on from their first nuclear weapon, Joe 1, to the Tsar bomber, Joe 111, those involved in air sampling missions had become very busy. The KC-135 was a recent addition to the USAF's inventory, and before long, with a handful of others, the fourth prototype serial 553127 was selected to be modified with a host of cameras and sensors to fly these missions. It had a large elongated inverted canoe fairing above the fuselage for optical instrumentation from visible, infrared and ultraviolet wavelengths. The aircraft had electromagnetic radiation sensors, photon detectors, and a myriad of still and cine cameras. Other, more sensitive equipment was placed in lead-lined cargo holds. As the date of the Tsar bomber test explosion neared, Khrushchev had made no secret of the event. General Dynamics struggled to get the aircraft prepared in time for Speedlight Bravo. A crew was flown out to RAF Bryce Norton in the United Kingdom to fly the mission, led by an experienced pilot. A senior officer from their base had come along to try and find out what his men were going to do. He was told that they were going to fly an aircraft he could barely see, parked about a mile away in the fog. But I want to know what they'll be doing, he insisted. 
I just told you, was the terse reply. The crew took off and headed towards the long, thin island of Novia Zemlya, in the Arctic Circle. In the words of all recce crews, alone, unarmed and unafraid. When they got to the test site, they loitered at 45,000 feet, about 20 miles away. In the Russian bear carrying the huge weapon, Major Donovstov and his crew waved goodbye to their fighter escort, and with only their TU-16 Badger chase plane beside them, they flew up the coast of the test range. In the 135, the American pilots drew flash blinds across their cockpit windows, and flying on instruments alone, they waited. When the vast bomb detonated, they watched the huge mushroom cloud spread over closed-circuit TV, and as the effects of the explosion reached them, they banked the aircraft to spread out the effects over as much as the airframe as possible. Even so, the blast cracked three of the four engine mounts and scorched the paint on the underside of the aircraft. Having completed their mission, the JKC-135 crew headed for home. How they had avoided being shot down is unexplained and remains classified. A crew who took part in at least 20 such missions described what went on. On landing, their aircraft would be surrounded by teams carrying Geiger counters, but the crew, it seems, were given less attention. They used their bare hands to remove the filters from the air scoops used to collect ionized particles. They wore radiation dosimeters with their dog tags, and when a technician tested one, it went off the scale. It must be broken, he was told, and it was thrown into a trash can. Their detectors were then taken away from them and never replaced. One of their navigators began to feel unwell and vomited blood. What the cause was is unexplained, as whenever they were off duty it was after hours and the medical centre was closed. When they got back to the States, he was medically discharged. However, the evaluation of the tapes, films and air sample data at Los Alamos by the scientists there produced an abundance of previously unknown data, highlighting the progress that the Soviets had made in nuclear technology. The pilot who volunteered for the mission, despite being told it was risky, is now retired, having gone on to fly three combat tours in Vietnam. When they returned from their speedlight missions, they were told never to talk about it, and no mention was ever made of the temporary assignment, nor did it appear in their records. However, he and his co-pilot felt that they deserved a medal. After two years of efforts to get the speedlight flights partly declassified, in a small church, the aircraft commander was presented with a distinguished flying cross for the missions he flew in the face of great personal danger, as the citation read, which provided the nation with intelligence of incalculable value. 
Wow. Okay. So I think when I do the uh, editing, I'm going to have to have something to warn people. <laughs> There's going to be a big explosion, and it's going to make you fall. Bang? And it's going to make you fall off your chair. Gosh, I had my speaker on, and I had my headphones on, and I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> I, I listened to it a few times myself, and it didn't really surprise me. But well, for you some knew reason, it was coming. Yeah, I guess you're right. Well, for some reason, that really blew me off my chair as well. It was good. <laughs> perfect, perfect yeah. effect for a nuclear bomb going on. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah, those are. Absolutely. Now, my favorite bit of that is uh, is the Roswell um, spacecraft um, discovery cover up etc mm -hmm. and and finding out that it was this uh, project mogul which was a highly sensitive attempt uh, uh, to create balloons to detect uh, <laughs> yeah. okay sorry <laughs> is, is that you know speaking of balloons was that a picture of grant uh, on the table there or? i think it is that that uh, is what the average balloon pilot looks like <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah okay I mean, Maybe those burners, they can be really nasty. Um, yeah, the <laughs> wow. The fact that uh, the military was so closed-mouthed about it was, to a great extent, because the actual balloon project was highly sensitive. They didn't want the Russians to know that they were developing this technique of, of um, you know, planting balloons in the, the upper atmosphere mm -hmm. to... Uh, pick up the sound of nuclear explosions, uh, mm -hmm. even though they didn't really use it. Um, you know, they 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 were still very classified. So quite naturally, they were being closed mouth about it. It wasn't a straightforward weather balloon. Yeah, yeah. Well, so <laughs> so there. Uh, so the bottom line is there is actually a good use for balloons. Is that what you were saying? The whole point of that? No, no, because no. it was it was completely useless. Very oh. expensive. <laughs> Completely useless, and yeah. uh, you know they found that seismographs were actually much better at detecting it. Ah, yeah, very good, interesting stuff. Interesting. Oh, stuff. I, I once I found out about the missions that the KC one three five, or I should say the early ones. Pardon me, I think they were the NKC one three five had done. They were right up there. I mean, twenty miles from. Uh, the Zar Bomber's um, detonation point, right up there, uh, and that's, that's well north of the Russian, up in the Arctic mm -hmm. Circle, a long way from friendly bases. How the hell they weren't intercepted, uh, I have no idea. Right. Because the Russians were shooting down um, previous uh, generations of wrecked aircraft, who, many of whom actually have been quite cheeky and flown you know, well into Russian airspace, but they were often pursued out again and then shot down in international airspace. So, you know, they've. I'm amazed that the Russians didn't actually shoot these aircraft down and that, you know, the, how brave the crews were to go off in these unarmed, what were basically 707s or the earlier Dash 8 version, um, and hang around... <laughs> Russia watching nuclear bombs go off. I mean, yeah. talk about yeah. You know, talk about I, I think our show has done more to you know like promote 
all the amazing things that uh, these 135 platforms and pilots and crews did. Um, oh yeah, many, yeah. Many I must have been. It's opened my eyes to the the job of flying those aircraft. I I, I always thought it was must be an awfully boring job. Yeah, <laughs> far from far, far from, from it. it. Yeah, far yeah, from it. Absolutely. Wow, that's really really interesting. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, another outstanding, brilliant. Oh, thanks. Plane tale, and um, I think we. Well, have enough time to cover a couple of more pieces of feedback and then we'll uh, end today's show number 12 um this is sent in by two of our community members steven and oh. magnus uh, the last mad dog engine change it's a youtube video which is interesting about this is that um let's see steven ward sent this in and said this is a they sent a link to the short version of the video and then a link to the long version of the video. Interestingly, both of them are 11 minutes long. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> wow. what the difference is, but uh, let me play just a little bit. Don't worry. I'm not going to play it's like those runways all in 11. Yeah. All 11 minutes of this. So we're, uh, here we go. McDonnell Douglas, Pratt and Whitney, dependable engines. The last MD-88 engine change. Ah, uh, uh, I miss that airplane. That hang is yeah. not big enough, surely. That's such a long airplane. Well, if they push it hard enough, it'll it'll fit. Well, um, it's the last one, so who cares? Yeah, Just right. smash it in the back. <laughs> and look at how fast these guys are working. I mean, it's amazing wow. how quickly they uh, can do all this stuff. Obviously, this is time lapse. Do they get paid if they do it in a certain time? Uh, apparently extra? so. I mean, if they get paid by the hour, they should probably slow down, I would think. I think so. Yeah, they should. Yeah. Anyway, it's a really interesting uh, time-lapse video of all the things that they do to prepare the engine to be taken off the, uh, the jet and then the new one put on. Uh, wow, you can you can see why podded engines under the wing are actually so much more convenient. Mm -hmm. An engine change of a podded engine is very simple compared with this. This, yeah. Is, this, yeah, this is, is difficult. All the scaffolding <laughs> and everything else they have yeah. to put on. You put on that engine, Jeff. Uh, right. How many hours I put on that engine, uh, Liz? I don't know. Probably thousands. <laughs> this is 902. Uh, and that was just uh, a one flight. I yeah, mean, one flight. <laughs> you overtempt it so many times. Yeah, effectively put on, you know, many, many hours. <laughs> yeah. of, but this is 902 yeah. Delta Echo, and I'm sure I flew, flew that um, that airframe that, many, many times. The Acme version of that? Yeah, the Acme version, not the, not the Delta, of course. Yeah, no. yeah. Slightly uh, different uh, registration. Yeah. Anyway, so that uh, is just a little taste. If you want to uh, check it out, nice, we'll brilliant. have that in the uh, show notes. It's very interesting to watch the the whole. And thankfully, uh, it's not in real time because otherwise you'd be spending days. No, I guess it wasn't days. How much? Uh, what was the total elapsed time? I think they say something about it in there. Uh, in the in the. I'm guessing notes. four hours, six hours. No, it was a little more. Yeah, it was more like yeah, six to ten hours, maybe. I don't know. I'm not oh, sure. Wow. Don't quote me on that. Yeah. Um, takes a while to do that. Anyway, uh, so thank you, uh, Stephen and Magnus. For if it was the last one. engine change, why didn't they just take a uh, a chainsaw and just cut it off? <laughs> right, the so it don't fall on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good Not question. Need that anymore? <laughs> that's a good question. I don't know. Okay. Um, 
Who All right. sent this next item in? Uh, this next item was sent in by somebody named Jeff. I like that name, Jeff. That uh, was mm. me. So I kind of stumbled <laughs> upon this thing, uh, and I thought, you know, it's worth talking about uh, to our wonderful audience. And, you know, most of you who listen to this show already know this stuff, but, you know, uh, tell your friends and, uh, and, and give them a link to this article. They'll probably, you know, blow it off, but... Um, you know, whatever. Uh, so, uh, when air disasters happen, here are tips on increasing your chances of survival. And, uh, this is in light of the recent Houston plane crash. Uh, the one that, uh, took off from the MD 87 that took off from Houston executive. And we haven't heard, I don't think we've had any updates on that yet. I'd be really interested to hear what's going on with that. Anyway. It says, uh, uh, this is from uh, um, foxnews.com. The dramatic event of nearly two dozen people safely evacuating the passenger plane that crashed in Houston earlier this week has brought renewed attention to the survivability of air disasters. Despite data from the National Transportation Safety Board indicating that the odds of becoming involved in a deadly plane crash remain overwhelmingly low, there, yes, even with uh, on my passengers list, uh, there are actions that passengers <laughs> could take to further increase their chances of survival. Here are four tips on how to survive a plane crash. Number one, sit close to the exits as every second counts in the event of a di- disaster. Professor Ed Galea, Galea, Galea. A fire and evacuation expert and founding director of the Fire Safety Engineering Group at the University of Greenwich in London, which conducts research on the topic, told Fox News he'll try to get a seat as close to an exit as possible, preferably within nine seat rows of an exit whenever he flies. Generally, there's no safest seats on an aircraft during a crash. This is because each accident is different, he said. However, our research of past survivable aviation crashes suggests that you have a higher probability of surviving a fatal crash the closer you are seated to a serviceable exit. He added, this is because in an aviation crash, especially one involving a post-crash fire, every second counts. Each second can literally make the difference between life and death. Number two, and you've heard me say this before, keep your shoes on in preparation for an escape. And you're going to your, you know, your summer vacation and you're wearing flip-flops. I would advise against it. I would advise. Dr. Steph, take me. Yeah, I'm sorry, Dr. Steph. Um, but, you know, you need to wear shoes. And she does. I don't think she wears flip-flops when she flies. Uh, you need to wear shoes that kind of cover your whole foot. Yeah, um, a pair of trainers would be perfect. There you go. Yeah. Great you advice. don't want your high heels. You exactly. High want... heels. Yeah, I usually don't no. wear mine uh, when I'm <laughs> flying. A plane crash will scatter items and luggage all over the cabin. And when this happens, you don't want to be caught wearing only your socks. Keep your shoes on for takeoff and landing. If you have to take off your shoes, wait until the aircraft has reached cruising altitude and make sure you put them back on before the aircraft starts the descent. As a result of the crash, the aircraft cabin is likely to be full of debris or debris or even worse, partially broken up. You don't want to be making your way to the exit in bare feet or flip-flops. Recognize, okay, number three, recognize the seatbelts aren't exactly like the ones in your vehicle. Now, I thought this was an interesting one. I didn't think that this would be a big deal, really. I mean, I oh, think that seatbelts... I've read a few reports where it has been a significant survival uh, factor. Okay. Oh, yes. Well, seat Particularly belts on... if you're in an unusual position. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, you know, you're hanging or on your side or something. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I had not considered this. Seatbelts on planes serve the same purpose as those found in motor vehicles, but a key difference is the way in which they lock and release. I guess that's why they spend all that time at the beginning you know, dur- dur- doing, uh, during the safety briefings. You know, like this is how you, you know, you pull on this and yeah, re- to release it and you place the yeah. flat we end into the buckle. Yeah, stupid, but... Yeah. I guess uh, there's a yeah, reason. That- yeah, they do, and they can tell by the telltale marks of people trying to get out of these things oh. when they're panicking uh, that they've been trying to do the wrong action on it, uh, oh. trying to push down on things, and wow. uh, it, it is a common. And, and why the hell we don't have the same release mechanism, mm-hmm. uh, or at least uh, you know something that is very natural and like your car, because. You're not off in an airplane. You're always in your car. Yeah. Why, the, why does the airplane have to be different? That's a good question. There must be a reason. Yeah. Well. Um, plane seatbelts released by pulling on a lever mechanism, uh, while the ones used in vehicles release with the press of a button, as you just mentioned, Nick. Remembering that difference during your, during your flight could buy valuable time to escape. In an emergency situation, when your survival flight mode instincts uh, have kicked in, or maybe fight mode, that should be, you are operating in autopilot mode. It's easy to lose precious seconds as you erroneously try to press the seat belt lever to release the seat belt, and every second counts. Um, let's see, this type of behavior has actually been reported in previous aviation accidents, again, as you mentioned, Nick, and has even occurred to frequent flyers. He added, noting that due to operating a car seat belt hundreds of thousands of times in your life, You've trained your brain to react in this way. Hmm, Interesting. And then finally, take note of your surroundings while heading to your seat. It's best to count the number of seat rows from yours to the exit and that distance as well, in case the plane cabin fills up with smoke in the event of a crash. This is great advice. It may become difficult for you to see the exit, even if it's open, so you could crawl or walk past it. Even if you're a frequent flyer, it is unlikely you will know the number and location of exits on the aircraft, uh, let alone their location relative to your seating location. So yes, do pay attention to where those exits are and how many rows, uh, so that if you can't see anything, it's filled with smoke, that you'll be able to get close at least to that row where so they the exits are not taking any of your belongings. No, they know. didn't. Uh, Liz, she's mentioning that uh, they didn't talk about the uh, fact that you should leave your belongings in the overhead bin and under the seats, you know, get the heck out of there and oh. leave your stuff on the airplane. Yeah. That, well, that's a good reason to stay within nine rows mm-hmm. so that you don't get, uh, to the the alley the aisle too blocked up between you and the <laughs> you yeah. and the exit uh but don't forget that uh you know you can go over the seats if if the passengers mm-hmm. in the seats headed between you and the exit have moved and got out of the way mm-hmm. then go over the top of the seats if you need to yeah and if you have a, a an acoustic guitar uh, you can take that and you hit people on the head and move them out of the way <laughs> yeah. i learned that from little old ladies out of the yeah, yeah like the nun good. i think was it uh, that was playing the guitar in uh, the movie airplane yeah. which is a exactly. a great example of a great safety um uh, airplane safety movie movie i think wasn't it so uh, yeah. that bit where he said when you're survival flight mode that's not where you're putting your phone that's the fight or flight uh, mode oh, that's what, that your oh, brain okay. goes fight into in a survival yeah. situation. 
So you're not oh. going to fight anyone. Well, you're going to fight your way to the exit, but um, you're also going to flee. Your your okay. Gonna, so that was the correct the word then. I shouldn't have corrected it. I, I'm guessing. Yes, yeah. Uh, was okay. My thought. Um, but don't forget that uh, you know there are a lot of people uh, when they panic they freeze, uh, mm. and it's a common reaction to sit and do nothing because you know you're unsure of what the action is and and which is one of the reasons why our cabin crew are trained to scream at people uh, with the actions of what they want them to do you know uh, because it penetrates into the head of people who are locked in as it were in a in a kind of panic uh, mode where they they're not doing anything they're sitting immobile so next time you're in a yeah we had a particularly nauseous uh, chap in the UK did a, uh, uh, you know, one of those talk programs about uh, an evacuation that occurred at Gatwick with one of our airline, with our mild airline, and how he he made fun of the cabin crew who were shouting loudly at uh, the, cabin, uh, the, the passengers on an emergency um, evacuation, making fun, making them sound like they'd lost control of themselves, why they were screaming so loud. No, mm -hmm. they they taught, trained yeah. to do that for a reason. And, uh, you know, it's to break people out of that, um, that zombie mode they get into when they won't move. Yeah. Is this true, you guys, what Alistair is Alistair saying? saying, I was taught years ago as a pilot wearing a shoulder harness to hold on to the shoulder straps if ever involved in a crash. Hmm. I'm I find that. hanging onto the controls is probably better. Yeah. <laughs> the explanation was that after the crash, pilots have a hard time finding the release. Whereas if you're holding onto the strap, you would follow along it to the buckle. Yeah, but I think okay. uh, I agree with Nick though. It's probably best to be able to hold onto the, <laughs> to fly the control airplane. yoke and try to fly the airplane. <laughs> so <I'm> like, <laughs> or like yeah. the uh, race car drivers. You know, when they're involved in a crash, they let go of the steering wheel. Well, at least they try to remember to let go. Yeah. Of the steering wheel because they end Don't up. Don't you hold hands you know, with your first officer because uh, you're scared? Do I, well, yes, Liz. I'd rather not mention that on the show, but yes, it's a technique to hold hands with your first officer if you're uh, <laughs> feeling emotionally stressed uh, uh, during a flight. But, yeah, <laughs> but you, you can always uh, actually in the postmortem you can usually tell if the pilot was holding onto the controls at the time of the impact. Because, of course, uh, if you're holding on to uh, the stick, then your thumbs are usually going to be broken. Oh. Because your arms go forward with the force of the impact, ah. break your thumbs. Interesting. But well, yeah. That's one of those things I didn't learn in my accident investigation course. Oh, well, probably because you didn't have to deal with many dead bodies. You were more interested in looking at the airplane. <laughs> yeah, we didn't uh, didn't get into, delve into the yeah. uh, human physiological but, aspects of yeah, crashes. he gave all these ideas, but uh, there's the he didn't write the one guaranteed way not to get hurt. Don't fly. Yeah, <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, there you go. great minds think alike. Yes, they do, or something like that. Anyway, mm. that's going to do it for our show today. And yeah, a little bit. Uh, a little bit earlier than normal, which is nice. A little bit abbreviated than uh, compared to our normal three-hour-plus shows, which is we because we care about you and we want you to be happy. And oh, um, Jeff Jet 
in our live audience, the uh, guy that has the uh, Jet Fuel Java uh, company, uh, coffee roaster out there in the uh, Seattle-Tacoma area, uh, has um, made a code live uh, that Woo. I can announce. Uh, he's We've exchanged some emails um while the show has been going on and he said if you and this is i can vouch for this coffee it's really really good coffee and every roast and blend that i've tried has been just awesome um he said here's the discount code for the coffee it's a in capital letters apg 500 apg 500 (laughs) all together 20% 20% discount. That's a nice discount. That's Thank you. In the show notes. That is That'll be good. in the show notes. Yes, Liz. And it's good until November 30th, 2021. And he says he's going to do another code, discount code for the holidays in December. And he's also coming or planning to go to the uh, 500th episode celebration in Atlanta on the 3rd of December. So looking forward to uh, seeing you there, meeting you in a person. And, oh, I met, forgot to mention it during our um, Getting to Know Us segment. Um, the uh, Renaissance Concourse Hotel is where we're uh, going to have the U.S. side of things during this 500th episode recording. And uh, Liz is flying down from Toronto. She'll be there in person. Hey, well and uh, should have all of the uh, APG U.S. Uh, co-hosts there as well. Maybe even uh, a live announcer uh, who announces the beginning of our show every week. He might be coming down from New York to do the live announcement of our show. And uh, many, many more, including this coffee person. It's going to be 1 o'clock, Liz. Uh, 1 o'clock is when we're planning on starting the recording. Of course, I'm sure that uh, you know we'll, we'll be hanging around you know, probably mid-morning and on. Uh, so if anybody... Yep. And wants to kind of hang out with us. And as we get prepped up for the uh, recording of the show, please uh, feel free to do that. And we also have a link that I'll put in the show notes. And uh, at some point, I'm going to make a special page on our website uh, with all the information about the 500th uh, for both the UK and US side of the uh, of the thing. And uh, we'll have all this information. But anyway, uh, this link that uh, I'll include in the show notes will take you to uh, the site where you can book your room. And uh, yeah, so things are things are moving forward. We'd love them to let us know if they're coming. Oh, and Liz says, please make sure you tell them to let us know uh, if you're coming to either the UK or US. Uh, venue for the 500th episode so that we have some idea of how many people to count on and it helps us with planning so again uh, 500 at airlinepilotguy.com and then uh, maybe in the subject you know say something about i plan on attending or rsvp or something like that Uh, that would be helpful for us to kind of keep track of everything so thank you very much in advance for your consideration and with that I think we'll now uh, point you toward our website, which hopefully will have the link to the 500th episode soon. It's airlinepilotguy.com. In the meantime, you can find out more about the crew and the community, which is the most important part of all of this. The community, you listening, uh, mean everything to us. 
And um, there's merchandise there. There's uh, the APG library. There is a link to the live YouTube. There's um, a calendar from the community calendar and so much more. Um, Plain Tales. There's a special page for the Plain Tales where Nick adds more information uh, for each of these episodes that he prepares diligently every week and uh, more pictures and more narrative and everything else. They're available to enhance the uh, Plain Tale and the Coffee Fund. Of course, if you want to help us financially, please consider that and head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. There you go. Uh, we're also on social media, and Nick is going to tell you all about that. Uh, yes, if you are a Facebooky, or it's now called Meta. Did you hear that? They've, uh, mm-hmm. they've changed the name of Facebook, <laughs> or going to change the name of the Facebook company, mm. Meta. Uh, so if you're a Meta man, or a Meta woman, or a Meta... I never met a nicer fella. Meta in the corridor. Um <laughs> <laughs> you need to uh, look out for Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, that's us. And if you're a Twitter twatter, uh, then you need to look for at APG Crew. Type that and you'll uh, link it to all of us. And Instagram is very similar. APG Crew, there's just no at symbol before that. So that's that's us on social meds. All right, and we also are on Slack. If you're a slacker, you should pay attention to... Hey, Hillel. Hillel, can can you come over here and do the Slack thing? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. That's okay. Come on over. Take one of those towels. No. Put a towel on, please. Okay. Come on over here. Pardon me? I do. Well, I do have the heat on. Yes, Liz. So it shouldn't be too bad for him. So come over here, sit down. Okay, here's the microphone. And now talk. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination and sharing platform that works on your mobile laptop or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha, Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. All right. Thank you, Hillel, for all of your help every week and your weird uh, proclivity to be uh, in the shower. Why if I use your razor, Jeff? Yes. Okay. Yes, you mind. I do mind. And is that yes, you mind? Or yes, yes, you yes can I use do your razor. Mind. Do not use my razor. Oh, too late. I think I can see him scraping his... Oh, no. His legs. Yeah. Oh, not down there. I'll have to but get a new oh, one, I guess. Hello. Aw. Ah. Gives a uh, new uh, meaning to down under. All right. <laughs> yeah. With that, I guess now. Oh, before we go, of course, is very important. The most important uh, acknowledgement, of course, is our con- producer, director, controller, well extraordinary Liz Piper in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Thank you, Liz, for all your help. And with that. We're going to go ahead and wish you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. Ah, bye, everybody. It's just me, isn't it? Bye. Yep. Bye. Yeah, he's up in the sky.
Good day. Such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline, not a guy I fly Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy I fly a 